Although, isn't that the trick? Like, if someone's listening to this and we're talking as if we are famous, then they, are they like, have I missed the boat? Why haven't I heard of these guys? Like, I, I gotta get everybody to another episode of the motor mouth podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere i'm your host joel tyree and with me as always is my esteemed co-host the tim gerard hello howdy what's up tim hi joel <laughs> i want to put like studio audience uh uh claps Applause, for yeah. when i introduce you <laughs> <laughs> like i wish they would do that for like andy richter and the the like the uh late night guys who have sidekicks like actually introduce them like they fucking belong on the show because <laughs> it's like conan comes out and he'll do his monologue and he'll sit the fuck down and then like richter's there but he gets no fanfare but <laughs> i guess richter's like the last guy like that right because i guess Foul. this is this is non sequitur as fuck <laughs> we're just continuing the conversation that we had before sorry uh but fallon goes to quest love like he'll go to the band and talk to them mm. like i guess that's a like a paul schaefer throwback like what uh yeah what's well, Letterman i feel like used to do yeah conan would would talk to max i think a lot of the time oh, okay gotcha you know but yeah it's like yeah something about andy richter it's like no you don't get you know what was it like tonight show was like ed mcmahon like he was right. sort of like the co-host but Maybe they introduced him. I don't know. I'm sure it's like the warm-up comic, like right. would, and I guess a lot of the time, like the 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 sidekick would be either the warm-up comic or like get the crowd going. Like I don't. We're just talking about hi listeners. This isn't about you. We're just <laughs> <laughs> we're just continuing a conversation. <laughs> All right, two topics enter. Sanity leaves. What did you bring this session? Neil, <laughs> the sigh, huh? Neil Pierre. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we left a, a big gap between the first uh, uh, rock star who died mm -hmm. episode, and now we're coming back around. Well, and well, I, and I'll explain it when we when we get to it. But there there was a reason why it kind of came up too. So, gotcha. but yeah, so we'll we'll get to that. Okay, <laughs> on that somber. What do you note. got? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. I this this is kind of a weird one. I I wanted to do interview questions. I've always wanted to be be asked. Okay, I, is that anything? That's cool. <laughs> is that anything? <laughs> well, no. Like there's there's like when you grow up thinking one day you'll be famous for something. Like not yeah. not even like wanting to, but just like I want to be creative. I want and like I'm imagining being on an interview show and being asked these things. Like that's something I've done since I was a little kid. And it's not just like. I want to do these things to be famous is like, I like creative stuff. I think it would be cool to have these interactions and have somebody care about your answers to these things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I have a few questions that I want to rattle through and kind of see how we both answer them. And that, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. I, I think I could probably think of some too for me. Like, so, yeah. so that could yeah. be part of the, the thing. 
yeah and then when that rambles wax like poetic we'll we'll go into more ideas that go absolutely nowhere <laughs> <laughs> all right the uh dearly departed neil peart who I learned how to pronounce his last name thanks to you. I've <laughs> I've always I've mispronounced it in every other conversation since then. But anytime I'm with you, I try to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> it, and you know, it's 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 funny because I almost I I wasn't gonna bring that up, but it has been sort of like almost a, a lifelong kind of issue because well, I shouldn't say lifelong because it's not like I I was aware of him when I was a baby. But but yeah, there you know when I when I was growing up. I, uh, I have a, um, an uncle who's also a drummer and, you know, every time I would hear him talk about him, it, would, it was Neil Peart. And I was like, oh, okay. You just kind of assume that that's how you're supposed to pronounce his name. You know, it's like, um, especially when you're a kid, you just kind of trust adults that they know what they're talking about. Um, and to be fair, this was the time, you know, before the internet. So it's not like you could like Google it and be like, I, you know, um, and uh, yeah, so it just kind of came back and forth and it was like, and I, I, I remember the, the first clue that I got, and I, I, I also forget, like, I feel like there was a part of me that was like, I don't know that that's right at some point. I don't remember what it was, but then I remember uh, there was a video I saw where it was at a hockey game in Canada. Mm. And it was something like they were doing the Canadian national anthem. And they were like, oh, Neil Peart is here to play, you know, the drum set for the Canadian national anthem. And I think they even mentioned like, oh yeah, all this time I thought his name was pronounced Pert, but it's actually Peart. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> someone, someone said it and acknowledged it, you know, and it was like, I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and then um, the other big thing, I think probably the next step beyond that was when um, after the movie, I Love You Man came out and which Rush was in that movie. You've, you've seen that movie. Right? I have not seen that movie. Oh my God. Okay. Come on, man. Jason Siegel, Paul Rudd, and Rush are in that movie. That I is know. a staple. I have, <laughs> I have put off watching it because I want to watch it with you. Okay, fair enough. All right. That why would I watch it without the Tim commentary right next to me or via Zoom? Like I that's Okay, that will have a thing. <laughs> like, I I one of my favorite lines from a movie I never seen is from there is is when they're uh doing James Bond. Oh yeah, and it's the the pose, and they're like, "Yep, Timothy Dalton." Timothy Dalton, boom, and he nails it. Like yep. I love that. <laughs> he doesn't know Bond, but he knows Dalton. <laughs> um. So anyway, well, that okay. So that I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but a few years after that came out, they actually Jason Segel and Paul Rudd did a YouTube video as their characters from that, where okay. where they go to a Rush concert for uh, Paul Rudd's character's birthday. And Jason Segel's like, oh, we have backstage passes and this, this, and that. And Rush is also in that video. Like, they go into their dressing room, and the two of them are there, where they're like, what the hell are you guys doing in here? <laughs> and, um, and what's funny about it is I think they, like, there was this awareness that, you know, people didn't know how to pronounce his name. And they actually, like, Jason Segel kind of argues with him about, are you sure it's not pronounced Pow? <laughs> and, he, and he's like, no, it's Peart. And, he did, and it's like, he said it himself. Like, okay, like, we have validation. We, we have confirmation. Let's so, say growing up, like, listening to class, classic rock stations and stuff, it was always Pert. Like, they, they never tried yeah. to say anything different. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that was, and then there was, uh, there was further validation where, um, I used to have this subscription to an audiobook um, service, and um, 
I didn't get to finish it partially because it was, it was, it was hard to listen to, but it was also just like, once the pandemic hit, I really didn't have a use for, for audiobooks. I wasn't driving. I wasn't, you know, um, but there's an audiobook of the, they, the, the book for clockwork angels mm. and, and Neil Peart reads it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was, it was definitely heavy. It was just as like, and it was one of those things you can't like casually just be like, Oh yeah, I'll throw it on while I'm doing chores. It's like, like you need to sit there and listen to his words. And I was like, maybe at some point I'll like just buy it so I can own it and listen to it that way. But again, he's like, you know, Clockwork Angels read by Neil Peart. And I was like, okay, all right, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. And you know, and yeah, it is one of those things too, when I hear people say it the other way, like I'm not usually that type of person to be like, actually it's Peart, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, but, but I've, I've been in instances where I feel like there've been a few times, not a lot, but where I've said Peart, people like, Aren't, isn't it pert and it's just like like i'm not gonna argue with with you over this but why do you assume you're right like which one of us is a drummer <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i'm trying to remember when it came up and this is not interesting to anybody but me but like when when i think you just said it at one point it's like oh is that how it's pronounced i don't think it was like accusatory i was just curious like because I assume you know, because you are my resident Rush fan friend. Like, that's the that's the thing that's frustrating about it. It's like, give me some credit, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing too. Is it's like I, I, it's almost been like embarrassing for me to say it because so many people say pert that it's kind of like, can I, can I say this without looking? either either pretentious or right. people thinking I'm stupid because I'm getting right. it wrong. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, so it, yeah, it's been a very like, you know, it's been a weird journey. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucks because I want to talk about my favorite drummer, but it's always, there's a degree of apprehension where it's like, I have to say his name, you know? Like, uh, and I even remember too, like one of my, one of my drum students way back when I lived in Rhode Island, used to teach drum set, like talking to one of my students about him and, and kind of mentioning that. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. You know, and again, this was kind of like, at this point, there was the internet, but I mean, you could look online and just find written, you know, like it was like, you know, how do you, you know, I don't know that Google could like pronounce it for you and you would know that you would have the right pronunciation, like, like a, like a regular word. Um, so anyway, so, so yeah, so that was something, yeah, like I, I was thinking about that. I was like, should I bring it up? I was like, no, I'm not, you know, just like I just said, like, I don't want to be, you know, like, let's talk about how his name is pronounced. But I was just like, if it comes up, then this then is our fucking pod. This is what this podcast yeah. is. So like, <laughs> yeah, you, you thought it was going to be a memorium, but no, it's just like we're discussing his last name. Well, like, if not here, when Tim, like, this right. is definitely yeah. the forum for that. I like how you said, if not here, when. <laughs> That was not planned. <laughs> if not now, where? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great t-shirt. New yeah. from motormouthpodcasting.com. <laughs> Search Redbubble. I wish we had Redbubble. We need merch. Yeah. <laughs> we need merch for this product that nobody's buying. <laughs> oh, speaking of merch and t-shirts, I just watched, uh, um, so I've been watching a lot of, this is a little aside. I've been watching a lot of um videos by by certain people who have like either advice to composers or like little online like not like classes but just sort of just like you know um uh, you know like little demonstrations of different like film scoring things um and one of the ones i watched uh it's for it's from um uh, spitfire audio uh and 
the guy was saying how um, he's talking about YouTube and he's like saying how like a lot of people don't like YouTube because they're kind of, you know, using other people's music. And he's like, but a lot of people don't understand the way YouTube works and how, you know, how people monetize it, you know, by like putting ads and this and that. And he's like, so if you want to make money, you know, if, you know, through YouTube, he's like, you know, start a band with your friends and, you know, think that you want to be greater than Coldplay and videotape every minute together <laughs> and post it on YouTube and then have links to your merch and t-shirts. And what's going to happen is you're going to fail at being better than, than Coldplay <laughs> because one of your bandmates is going to sleep with one of your band, other bandmates' girlfriends and the whole thing's going to collapse. And he's like, you know, and he's like, what is, how does he say it? He says something like, you know, you want to have a band with your mates. People want to watch you fail. And in the meantime, they buy your t-shirts. That's the transaction. <laughs> That, that's the product everybody wants that's great <laughs> so just like all right yeah file that one away got it all right well we've, we've already begun this start a band <laughs> apart right yeah so now we have to videotape it and then fail miserably got okay it. but the t-shirt's in the middle that's the key part yes, you have to indeed have the, the yep image. We have a checklist now. Yeah. <laughs> For more on this, visit our Patreon that also doesn't exist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm or so visit. ready. I'm so ready for us to be successful. <laughs> I've got the plugs ready. <laughs> well, according to the secret, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's the the Mulaney. Uh, Mulaney was on the uh, You Made It Weird podcast with Pete Holmes. Um, and he was talking about his show, Mulaney, that failed. Oh, yeah. And he was saying like, it was so famous in my head because he was like, he had uh, lived or eaten, breathed, sweat and bled nothing but that show for so long before it got out to anybody. So in his head, it was like, it was already a success. And then when it wasn't, that cognitive dissonance was rough. So right. <laughs> I, I keep uh, uh, bringing myself back down to earth with that re remembrance of like, it's not famous yet. It's not famous yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay so so the reason neil pert is your peer excuse I, I see i just did it that's fine there. see but see i won't i won't correct you because <laughs> i know i'm wrong <laughs> they just have to know so what what brought him back to the forefront so uh so i was on instagram a while back and scrolling through and i follow uh getty lee uh, his is called uh, uh getty images and that's great that's um, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So I have the DS. Yeah, so I was scrolling through and I see it's a glass. I'll, I'll, I'm looking at it right now. I'll describe it to you. And if anyone wants to look it up. So yeah, it's Getty images. And this is most, his most recent picture. It's a glass of whiskey with a, a folded napkin and it just says Neil on it. And the, the, the caption is it's five o'clock. My friend, your usual is ready. And then it has his birth date, September 12th, 1952 and his death date, January 7th, 2020. And then a broken heart. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like, and, and like, you know, so like it hit me. It was like, fuck, that was a year ago. That was like, you know, so just the, the, the sweetness of the gesture and like, you know, like, you know, his, his friend who's kind of just like, you know, remembering him on, on the anniversary. And it was just like, oh, like, and it just kind of reminded me like, yeah, like this, this happened so long ago and there's so much stuff that's happened since then. You kind of haven't really like, you know, not, not process in the sense like it was someone that I knew who died, but just like, you know, plus I feel like so many people, you know, famous people who have been so influential, influential have been dying, you know, right. like, like Prince and like, just like everybody, you know, it's just like, so it's just kind of like, you know, just one after another. And, you know, and that was, I think, you know, the one that, well, like, you know, like you with Van Halen, you know, yeah. 
and like this was the one that obviously hit me the hardest as far as like famous people dying recently, you know um so so that's kind of what brought it back into my mind was just like oh yeah like this was the anniversary that was that was the date you know um so you know it made me kind of and 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 that was part of it was like when i when i thought of that and then i was like oh this might be good for the podcast. it's like oh yeah joel did ben hamlin so okay kind of you know like ties into that you know and so th that's why it came up now not before because yeah so i guess january 7th was the the anniversary um so so yeah so thank you instagram for <laughs> keeping me up to date so so anyway so that was kind of what, what what started it and then yeah so it kind of made me and i know we talked about rush a little bit when we were doing the whole songwriting part of it um but that was also you know and i think as i mentioned like one of the things i i do love about rush is like every part of it like appeals to me like the words appeal to me the, you know the music it, you know aside from just the drumming you know like that's kind of what got me into it as a drummer, but, you know, like being able to appreciate the songwriting, you know, and the, and the lyrics on top of that, you know, later on, you know, it, it also, I think that's part of why they stuck with me as my favorite band. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I like this drummer, therefore by default, I like this band. And now that I've kind of, you know, evolved as a musician and I'm more of a composer, forget them. It's like, no, they're, they're still there, you know? Um, like I appreciate, you know, every single note that comes out of that recording. Right. Um, so what what's your rush origin story do you remember the first thing you heard or how you ca it came into your life i okay so it's not the first thing i heard because you know they were on the radio like yeah. i i knew who they were when i was younger um but the real like sort of kick in the gut moment i may have told you about this before i feel like i've told a few people so i was at my uncle's house and this is a different uncle than the one who was a drummer okay um and he, and, and what's, what's interesting too, is that the fact like, you know, I feel like most drummers at least know who he is, you know, and, and other, other people who are non-musicians, you know, they probably know who Rush is, you know, yeah, or not probably, but I mean, you know, if they're, if you're listening to the radio in that, right. that era, but the fact that my uncle who was not a drummer and who, you know, knew him by name, probably because it was his brother who was the drummer. So maybe you heard about it from them, but, but the fact that like, he could appreciate him as a drummer, even though he wasn't a drummer himself. And my, that uncle had gone, I think it was the moving pictures tour. He had seen them live and he was telling me how he's like, all I remember, and not all I remember, but the thing I remember most is watching them build his drum set around. Oh, oh, yeah. And I was just like, oh man, like, you know, and he and becomes he, the sun at the center of the solar system. Like right. it, yeah. it's just the, these planetoids of Tom's. Like, yeah, toms and cymbals and electronics just boom all around him, and and then he he had moving pictures on vinyl, and and this is the thing too. I, I I've had discussions with with people about vinyl, and I get that like nowadays where stuff is recorded digitally, and you take like a digital recording, which you could put that on a CD, and and oh let's put that on vinyl, and it's like if the, if the bass recording is done digitally and kind of I think there there's automatically like a sterility that happens to it. Or um, like, I, I don't know the ins and outs of analog recording versus digital recording. But I know that one of the things that uh, one of my professors told me in my undergrad is uh, for CDs specifically, part of how they're able to put the, 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 the sound in such a compact space is that in the recording, they will cut off all the frequencies above and below the range of human hearing. So, so there's actually stuff that's being recorded across the whole spectrum but they're like, well, people can't hear this anyway, so we're just going to delete it. 
and it, it cuts down on the file size. Right. So what ends up happening is you're, you're missing all of these sort of like unheard things, but things that are still, uh, you know, kind of ambient to the, right. to the nature of the sound. And that's what gives, you know, CDs like they're kind of like very clean, cold sound. So my uncle who had vinyl, so this is again, recorded analog, which means it's recording everything in the room, whether or not we're aware of it, you know, and my uncle actually had a, a good stereo system. You know, again, it's not like, oh, I have this record that I'm going to play into my, you know, Beats headphones. So it's like, okay, like you might as well play an MP3. It's not going to be, you know, much better. So he had like, you know, back in the day when you used to have like a, a little, you know, on your stereo system, it had a speaker cabinet that was like three feet tall you know, stereo speakers, you know, he had like a component for each part of his stereo, not just like, oh yeah, here's my boom box. Let's put on a record or whatever. Right. And it was like, they were in the fucking room with us. And I just remember like, like I had never heard music like that before because like, you know, it's like either, again, you're listening to it in, in the radio, like in the car, in your house. Um, my parents had a radio a record player, but it was basic, you know, it was fine. It got the job done, you know, but to, you know, to have someone who, who handpicked each component of his stereo. And, and I think, you know, even like, okay, here's where the speakers need to pl be placed. You know, if they're too far away, you're kind of missing the middle. If they're too close, you're not getting the stereo. Like knew exactly where to place his speakers and just like put the needle on. I was just like, what the fuck is this? And, and we just listened to, I think we listened to the whole side A of that album. And I was just like, like, so, so again, like I had heard Rush before I knew Spirit of Radio, I knew Tom Sawyer, like Tom Sawyer was not new to me, but hearing it like that was new to me. You know, I, I knew Red Barchetta, I knew, I think I knew YYZ, I knew Limelight, you know, again, pretty much the whole first side of that had been on the radio at one time. Um, so that was sort of the first time where I was just like, oh man, and, 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 and what's, what's fortunate is that it was Rush that we listened to at that point because he could have put anything on and it would have sounded like, oh man, like, cause my, my uncle's a huge Queen fan. So he could have played something by Queen just to show off his, just to show off his, his sound system. Okay. And I would have been like, oh my God, like this is incredible. But, but to have that be connected with my favorite band, you know, is, uh, you know, it's, it's something I'm very grateful for. Again, like I would have enjoyed the experience if we were listening to Queen, but to pair that with, with Rush, you know, um, and then I, and I think he even, he made um, a cassette tape. He, he made a tape of side A for me to take home and listen to, which of course wasn't the same, Right. but, but I could just like listen to side A. And it, it was funny too, because I remember that uh, Moving Pictures was the first album that I owned on CD, you know, because I was alive back in the time where we used to have tapes and then, oh, CDs started became, becoming a thing. So it was like, oh, okay. And I remember like, I was like, when I buy, and I bought it before I even owned a CD player. Because I was like, when I get a CD player, I want this to be the first thing I listen to on CD. And boy, was I glad my uncle only made me a recording of Side A. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. Witch Hunt is, is incredible. Uh, what's what's the, the last one? Um, Vital Signs is cool. But the camera eye, <sighs> that song is right up there with me with the, the Test for Echo album. Which just like, come on, guys. <laughs> well, isn't it, it's it's self-referential, right? Like it's referring back to cut in the limelight, right? The, I mean, well, and maybe that's part of it too. I'm maybe also I've, speaking having never listened to this album all the way through. Like Rush has always been a greatest hits band for me, right. um, and 
I mean, it, obviously, twenty one twelve has right. to be listened to, and I snakes and arrows is kind of the the kind of one where I went in hard on the whole album. Oh yeah, like you got to. That's one of their best. Like I mean, like all the way through. Like there is not a bad song on that album. Yeah. Which what what a way to go out, you know? Like, but um, but yeah, like and it's it's just one of those. And, and I think it wouldn't bother me so much if it wasn't like long. Like it is like. Mm. Long, and it, it and it's just you know i'm sure maybe i haven't listened to the words enough to really appreciate it but just musically i'm just kind of like you know and and i mean you know it's a b-side you know and again this was back in the day when you had a b-side right. when i'm not going to bother flipping this record over and they know most people aren't going to like let's put camera eye on the side on that side but, but yeah when you get the cd and the whole thing just plays through and you're like what what the fuck is this like i <laughs> And luckily, I kept listening. So, like I said, Witch Hunt is amazing, and, and Vital Signs is fun. So, anyway, let's let's get off of that. But that, that, oh, it, cool. it, it was just such a fun contrast to have this 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 incredible experience with Side A of Moving Pictures, right. and then when I you know like oh I've got this I owned the CD for so long and it just sat there because mm-hmm. I'm like I don't have a CD player yet but once I do I'm going to listen to this so hard <laughs> and then I did and I was like oh I wish I stopped after that. <laughs> See, and that's a whole other podcast is like the experience of vinyl because that is such a cool thing. And I mean, like, I'll listen to CD and digitally produced recordings all day, right? Like SoundCloud, you can get the WAV file and you get as much depth to that track as possible, right? Like there, there's there's ways to listen digitally that are weren't possible before. Um, but like there's certain things that I don't listen to unless I can listen to it on vinyl. It's not like an active choice i guess it's like i listen to it first on vinyl why would i ever listen to it a different way i don't know like i think it's just a nostalgia thing like ted nugent awful person great fucking guitarist like double live gonzo is one of the greatest live records of all time and he plays great white buffalo and stranglehold on that and that's like the it's it's, it's double live so i think it's side three like the first side of the third disc and it's just charges through your fucking body. You feel like the Buffalo is in the building. And I mean like Boston don't look back or, or Boston, the, 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 their title album, like long or foreplay long time that like huge interlude into like a result. It looks like the spaceship of Boston is like, it feels like it's there. It resonates so, so strongly like uh, uh judas priest screening men for vengeance i listened to that for the first time on vinyl that big yellow uh uh album cover with the giant bird of prey metal bird of prey on it listening to electric eye and and uh bloodstone in those tracks like but like um trying to think like or or play the game i didn't realize queen like again another band i knew from greatest hits but you go to the albums and they're a whole different band like play the game is such a wicked album with they're all deep cuts and i only like i heard it on vinyl and like this is the coolest fucking queen album and it's not day at the races and it's not uh um what night at the opera that's the big one um i have a really tore up disc i have my record collections like right behind me here like i have all these records but like the one that like really that i listened to that made them feel like they were in the room like was maynard ferguson live at jimmy's 
It's an album you can't even fucking get digitally now. And Maynard Ferguson is like this, that he was, I, I hesitate to call him the Kenny G of his era because he was not. He's very musically proficient, like a huge, like, uh, um, band leader in the, in the style of like Camp Basie. Um, but this is just like, it feels live. It feels like they're in your living room or on your couch and it's crazy. And it's just like the most exciting jazz recording I think I've ever listened to like that, that that's the one that really sticks out of like the awakening for uh vinyl. So sorry, major tangent back to rush real quick yeah. or not. I mean, this is the whole topic, but like for me, the awakening with uh, Rush was like, I, I heard the radio hits, right? Like Tom Sawyer and uh, Free Will and Fly By Night. Like I would hear those and I recognize them. Um, and then I got Spirit of Radio, the the hits, like I think it was like 15 tracks, 12 tracks, something like that. And for the first time I heard, well, you hear uh, Temples of Syrinx on that with the, 2112 overture before it and it's just like that recording transports you and tells a story like maybe no other recording ever has or will again <laughs> like it, it's it's a hugely powerful super nerdy but like really in, like it's so accessible and so sick and it's it's one of those like whenever a band has a long song right there's a there's a lull point usually where you're like okay is this over yet that doesn't happen with that track you're like just give me more of this like this is it, it, there's no downside to it um so that one just like as as a, a a testament of their their story craft but also red barchetta is something i had never heard before before i got that record and that is just such a I, it just speaks to me on such a primal level that story those sounds the way that record comes together that song is is hugely visible and or visual in my mind and emotional like it, you just I, I don't know like i really identify with that song and i don't know why i've never like i don't even know what a barchetta looks like you know like but i i i just uh, a better man each to, like there's so many like the lyrics of that song just resonate really really hard like so that that's my rush awakening was those two tracks hearing those and it, i mean hearing them out of context right like that's i heard 2112 not on 2112 right, right. so i was missing a piece of the puzzle like story-wise so yeah and that, i mean that was definitely i think one of the things that really helped me dig deeper into them like once i kind of yeah, got past their kind of radio hits and, and started, you know, again, I started collecting their tapes, you know, because again, that's the, the time that it was. And, you know, digging into their older stuff, again, like the sort of obsessive collector in me is like, I like this band, I have to own all their stuff, you know, and kind of digging backwards and kind of finding like, yeah, like how, how much story played a part in their music, which, you know, you don't, you don't get that as much on the radio play stuff, you know, you know, and kind of piecing the things together. I remember one of, one of my favorite moments. Um, and I think be, between me and my cousin, who was also a Rush fan. And I, I think I mentioned him back with the, the you know, the, the songwriting thing too, because he's the one I've, we've collaborated with, like since we were kids. Um, he, um, he was also a Rush fan or is, and I don't think that we did this on purpose, but we ended up like, if there was an album that I owned, 
like he didn't buy it and then he would buy the ones I didn't have. And oh, okay. I don't know if our plan was like, okay, we can make copies and give them to each other. Um, but I remember uh, at one point I bought uh, hemispheres and listening to the, you know, the, the A side of that and being like, Oh my God, like, have you, have you heard hemispheres? I don't think so. So it's, it's this mythological thing about, um, you know, it's the uh, gods, Apollo and Dionysus and how each one of them basically wants to control the, the world but under both of them, the world kind of collapses because like with, um, with Apollo, it's like, you know, basically people are just kind of, you know, using with their mind, but there's no, there's no heart, there's no joy, there's no compassion. And then when Dionysus takes over, everyone's just kind of living all freely and fun, but they didn't plan for the winter. And all of a sudden it's winter and everyone's dying and starving and freezing because they didn't, you know, think enough to, to get their shit together. And it cuts into this interlude where it's this, you know, this weird, like ethereal music. And it's like this guy talking about being like this disembodied spirit. And, you know, then there's this whole thing about Apollo and Dionysus, you know, see this, this disembodied voice and they're like, Oh, we're going to make you Cygnus, the God of balance. And, and I just love that whole concept of how, how mythological it was, you know, using these mythological characters, but, but it very told, it told a very clear story about, you know, you have to have a balance between your heart and mind. And, this is something that kind of has become like a very big part of my life, you know, going through different, different parts of things, you know, both being in school and like learning information, you know, and kind of, it sometimes pulls you away from your creativity, you know, and then having to pull back to your creativity, but then seeing people who are just totally driven by creativity, that there's no kind of polish to what they do. I, I shouldn't say no polish and all people, but, but, you know, like, you know, some, certain people I've seen where it's like, Oh yeah, man, you know, if you go to school and you learn all this stuff, you know, you're blah, blah, bogged down by this. And then they'll do something that they think is great. And I was like, oh, that sounds like so-and-so. Like, mm. you know, maybe if you'd learned about that, you wouldn't do this thing thinking that you're, <laughs> you know, the most clever person in the world, you know? So, so like in, in, in every aspect, you know, and I feel like, you know, in relationships and, you know, just interactions with, with people like, you know, and, um, you know, that, that idea of, you know, uh, you shouldn't be living through one or the other, I think it should be a balance of both. So anyway, you know, it has this really cool mythological story that, that, that kind of really hits home. And, uh, and that the last song is called the sphere, which is, you know, the heart and mind combined in the single perfect sphere. It's like, Oh, what a way to kind of cap that off. So I'm listening. One of my, one of my cousin's tapes, he had um, a farewell to Kings, which is the, the album before hemispheres. And I'm listening to it. And I get to the end of it and I'm like, some of this sounds familiar. Like what? I've heard those chords before and I'm like l listening to it. And, and it didn't really click until um, there was a time there used to be a flea market near, near my parents' house. And we used to go there sometimes and I found a bunch of rush vinyl. So at my mom's house in her attic, there's, there, I have a stack. I forget exactly which ones I have, but I think I found hemispheres and I found um, uh, Farewell to Kings. Now, one of the things I realized is on the tapes, a lot of the times, they left out a bunch of information or sometimes they would reorder songs mm. to fit them in better. So I saw on, yeah, first of all, on a Farewell to Kings, there's a song at the end, Cygnus X1. I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay, that was the thing. And then I look at the Hemispheres album and it says Cygnus X1, book two, Hemispheres. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? So the last song of A Farewell to Kings is like a prelude or a chapter one to this other thing. And, and it tells a story about this guy going like, hey, there's this black hole. What happens if I fly my spaceship into it? 
So he flies a spaceship into a black hole and it, you know, he becomes like completely obliterated. And there are these, these chords that are kind of strumming at the end of just kind of like, you know, that you get this sense of just like floating in space. And those are the chords in Hemisphere that begin this section when it talks about this disembodied voice. I'm like, motherfucker, that's the guy from Cygnus X1. And I'm like, holy. So now they have a story that's spanning two albums. And I'm like, what the fuck can't these guys do? Right. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, that, that's, that's an example of, like, the complexity of, I, I hesitate to even call what they do rock opera. Because I, I think it's, it's more, I don't even know. Like, it seems like its own thing. Like they reinvented it and they made it. I mean, it's rock space opera in a certain sense. Like right, yeah. it, it's like, but there's also like they're so precise. They can be really con, con, like huge constructs and these big ideas. But there, there's a simplicity to like the 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 meat of the story, right? The heart of the story, and yeah. like the, in in when I had that that greatest hits, I heard the trees for the first time. Yeah which is this beautiful storybook like it's it's like a children's book the the simplicity of it and it's perfect and it's so brief and it gets at the heart of the point like it, it's so perfect like i i i think about like 2112 and these like big kind of raucous wide spanning stories but like that that's the other side of what they do is that they can like really hammer home this really pure simple idea and hearing that for the first time, I was just like, is this the same band? Like how, like, it's so like, it was, it was, and I think it came shortly thereafter. I think on that record, Spirit of Radio is first, Temples of Syrinx is second, or no, it's probably Free Will is second, Temples of Syrinx, and then The Trees is right after that. So it's this huge resounding, like, Temples of Syrinx of like, uh, uh, and then you, you get to the trees and Bird it's sounds it's, and <laughs> yeah, it, it's just this very simple pared down pure song in, in a way that like few people get close at something that pure, you know, like I, that, as you were talking about, like, and I, I didn't realize how big their discography is. Like, as you were talking, I went to look at hemispheres and, and like just scroll for days. It's, it's the guy <laughs> yeah. when, when we watched, uh, uh, fanboys when he had the big case of tapes i was like there's not that many rush out there are that many rush albums <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of them that's crazy it's always it always frustrates me like when you hear things in sequence and you get used to them and then you discover the origin and it's in a different order and you're like oh this makes so much sense why would they change it up for like i, th I think when we had the van halen conversation like for me eruption always comes before running for the uh running from the devil or running with the devil but on the record van halen one it's before you really got me oh that's right yeah so it's like that always like whenever i put that record on i'm like wait what song is it like that that always messes you up like yeah i think the 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 worst was um i had caress of steel i think it is on on cassette and it's one of their uh trying to remember exactly how how it were i think it's they have a, a song on there called the fountain of lameth which is like another kind of multi-movement work and on the cassette i don't th i think it's like it's not even labeled as like a multi-movement work it's just here are these songs and i think the songs that are part of a multi-movement work are out of order <laughs> oh, man. so and so it's like you know and and i think not even just like it starts at the end of side one and continues at the beginning of side day like like legitimately like in the wrong order like you know, like it's song like something like one, 
two and five, one, two and four, and then five or something. And they just seem like these these kind of weird little songs. And they were still good. I still enjoyed it. But it wasn't until I saw it on the album that it's like, no, they go in this order. This is another story it's telling. I think I even bought that one on CD and on CD they fixed it. So it's like, oh, you get, this is a whole new piece that tells a story. It's like, damn. So I was like discovering things even, even after stuff I had been listening to and was familiar with, like, it was like, no, this is what this actual story is. It's like, oh, fuck. I forget. Did you ever get to see them live? I did. I saw them um, the first time my dad took me. It was the counterparts tour. It was great. Like I remember um, like I wanted merch and the t-shirts of course at concerts are like what is it like 50 dollars for a t-shirt or something stupid yeah. like that someone was selling bootleg rush t-shirts outside my dad bought me one of those i was like i was a kid i didn't fucking care it was yeah. like it was a um tie-dyed shirt and it had i think it had the cover of uh presto i think it was like a presto shirt or no maybe or maybe it was no no i see i'm confused because i think in Presto, I think they talk about like rock paper, rock paper scissors, but they also have that image in the Counterparts tour, uh, like album. So I think that's what it was. Yeah, it had rock paper scissors. So it was a Counterparts shirt. I think it had like the, this the the bolt and the nut on the front, and then on the back it had like like this grid of nine images um, that all paired off. Um, but that was great. And uh, Do you still have it. It's probably again at my mom's house. I definitely um, there there are, there are, there are shirts I've kept through the years that I've kept as like souvenirs. Um, so it's probably in her attic with all these other shirts that I've like said, okay, I'm not going to wear this anymore, but I want to throw it out. Like this has like sentimental value, so I probably still have it there. Maybe next time I go there, I should take it and bring it back here. That could be one of the shirts I wear to pop culture con if that ever happens. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was the first time I saw them live. And then I think I, I, I think I went either two or three more times. Um, more recently, when I was older, like I saw the, uh, there was a, a friend of mine who was, who's also a huge Rush fan. And we ended up going to at least two or three because um, there were a bunch of other concerts. We, did, we went to like a Dream Theater concert together, maybe two of those even. So I kind of forget exactly how many, but I think um, we went to, I think it was R30. I think we went to that concert and then I think we went to like the snakes and Ar- snake and arrows tour where I think they played almost the entire album. Gotcha. Um, Wait, when was R 30? Uh, would have been, what is that? 2004, 2007. I forget. Like, cause their, their, their first album was, I think it was like 74 or 77. I remember it was before I was born. Gotcha. Cause they did another anniversary tour, which is when I saw them the one time I saw them, but it would, it would have yeah. been longer than 30. I think they did an R40, I think. I, that like, might have been I, yeah. what it was. I think they didn't have as many albums in between, but it was more like, hey, this is a milestone. Like, let's do it. So, yeah. And I remember one of my fond memories about this, too. So we went, it was, um, I forget what it's called now. I think originally it was called Great Woods. And they changed the name, I think, it, to the Tweeter Center. So I was like, fuck you. That's so stupid, Tweeter. <laughs> like, just because you want to, like, you know, this big business, you want this place. Like, Great Woods was such a cool name. It was basically the... Um, I think it's in Massachusetts and it was basically the, um, the, the red rocks of Massachusetts okay. where it's like an outside venue. You have that little indoor portion and then it's like outdoor seating grass and where we were, where our seats were, we were sort of like, we we're outside. We had seats, so we weren't just sitting in the grass, but it was like, um, I think the first set of seats that weren't underneath like the, the roof that they had. And so there was like a, an aisle going along. So like we could kind of see the people walking in front. And I remember, you know, 
I had a few beers and I was like, oh man, I need to take a piss. So I go to the bathroom, I'm coming back and on my way back, what do I hear? But a fucking drum solo starting. And I was like, oh, I'm missing the drum solo. <laughs> so I come running and I'm like, not, not only am I missing it, but I have to find my seat. So luckily I knew we were in the front and I'm, I'm running down looking and I see my friend's hand outstretched like and then I come running up like a like a fucking cowboy pulling a, a damsel in distress up onto his horse like he has his hand I grab his hand he pulls me up like over the railing so I could just jump instead of having to push through all the people jump into my where my seat is and just like <sighs> like kind of glue myself forward for the, for the drum solo so that was that was a great moment um and then yeah and then we did uh we did the snakes and arrows tour and and that was great too because like you had this this nice it, it was it was a really cool contrast because you had the R30, which was this big retrospective. And I think they did a bunch of stuff they hadn't played in years. Like I almost want to say they, I think they did like Xanadu, you know, like, so, like you know, really kind of out there stuff that they normally don't do. Um, and then, then you get the, like the Snakes and Arrows tour where they, they obviously played other stuff, but they focused on the new album. So it was like really cool to be like, okay, I just heard all of your hits and now I want to hear this new album that I love and, you know, plus some other stuff. So it was a really cool like pairing of concerts to go to. Um, yeah. So maybe it was just those three times. I can't, I can't remember if there was a fourth, like what it would have been. And I think, yeah, I feel like our, our 40 maybe was more recently. I think I was maybe living out here and I think, what was it? I think I remember one time I'm being on Facebook and it was like yesterday, last night, Rush played in Denver. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was like, and then like, uh, yeah, so it was like, oh, like, you know, yeah, that's what, yeah, it, it, and I was just like, how, like, why, why am I only hearing about it after the fact? Like, why, why didn't you have something saying like, oh, Rush is going to be in Denver. Like I would have been, and that might've been R40 where it's like, I could have seen them and then didn't. And I think that was the last time they toured. Um, so yeah, that might've made sense if you, yeah, if you were going to see the R40, that would have yeah. been like more recent. And it was crazy. It's like, obviously if you have the opportunity to go see Rush, like, you go see rush like that that was it was it was a non and i go to see all these classic rock bands with my my mom and my dad and my sister like we we went we went to a lot of concerts like from middle school up through now we've gone to go see stuff together um so we went and it was just like we all kind of had the realizations like we don't even know what this band is like they played hits and we were really excited but there was so many things we were like this is killer, but I've never heard this before. <laughs> so it was one of those things is like, sometimes you study before the concert and sometimes you study after it was definitely a study after experience, yeah. but man, they, they put on a fucking show, man. They, they, yeah. See, I'm almost envious of you. Like, I don't, I think by the time I saw them, I had, I don't want to say I've heard every single one of their songs, but at least every song they play, I had heard it. Or I was like, oh, that's off their first album. I don't care about that. <laughs> that was before Neil. <laughs> um, quick, quick tangent. Have you, have you ever listened to Triumph? I don't think so. Okay, because Triumph is the other three-man band from Canada. Oh, okay. <laughs> who also have like weird cosmic stuff. But they're, I mean, I, I hesitate to say that they are the lesser of the bands because they're they're great in their own right. There's they're more metal leaning and more more obscure. Their first album, or I don't know, if it's their first album. They have an album called Allied Forces that has this uh, metallic uh, flying V guitar uh, on a yes. black field. It's so sick. They're really fun, um, but it's a band like 
that nobody who likes rush has heard of <laughs> really like <laughs> there's one we we have one three-man band from canada it's rush that's it you don't you don't need another one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't need another three-man band period ever yeah <laughs> Oh, that, that reminded me of another thing. There was a there's an episode of Bob's Burgers that where yes. like, it's it's yeah it's Bob's Burgers. Centipede. Yeah, and like Krista's like I think she was like, is this supposed to be Rush? Like, is this supposed to be Twenty One Twelve? I was like, I think so. At least parts of it, like maybe a few other. It was drawing on a few other things because like, you know, there were there were a few other like uh, oh that was that was what I was gonna say before. The other album I had on vinyl was uh, Sticks. Kilroy was here. Oh, um, I think my I think my uncle bought that for me because he knew I liked the song Mr. Roboto. So like he bought and I, that's why I really like that whole thing. That was a concept album. I was just like, whoa, there's a story here. What the fuck? Um, and that's that so have, actually might have even been like pre-Rush, you know. That's so fun. That's the that's the album that killed Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so see that? And see that's the thing too is I feel like there 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 are probably a lot of people who are like oh I, you know rush does too many multi-movement works and it's like give me more multi-movement right works, you know and in their later stuff it's like oh we're just gonna write songs it's like oh come on guys like give me another story and then they did you know we got clockwork angels was like here's another here's a full and I, actually i don't think they've done that until clockwork angels where the entire album was the whole story like you know you get like oh like 2112 side a hemisphere side a you know but to have the entire album be a whole concept album with nothing that's outside of the story in it you know yeah yeah and, that's, and they I gave mean, us a book and a comic book series to go along with it too so. <laughs> who who did the art on that i can't remember i'm not sure um i don't know if it was an artist that i knew gotcha from something or if it was just um, it was good though. I, I read it. It was it was neat. I liked it. But yeah, so it's 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 just interesting to kind of uh, you know to, I guess getting back to the core of the discussion of like you know being a, about Neil, not just about Rush in general, but right. like I guess more so you know even though I kind of started the conversation with like oh part of why I love Rush so much is because you know all of the music, not just the drumming, but but yeah, where it started was definitely with the drumming, and it definitely informed like how I learned to play the drums, you know, and how, you know, which I guess is also kind of sad now because I don't really play anymore. It's more, you know, like I said, it's more, more the composer now than, than the drummer, but, but it definitely, I think got me, got me started on, on a good path where it's not like, Oh yeah, my favorite drummer is, I, I don't want to intentionally diss anyone or diss anyone who likes anyone in particular. So I'll be like, yeah, this, this drummer from this band, that's just like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it, it was funny too. I had a discussion a few years back with someone about, you know, when, when someone says, Oh, is, you know, Oh, you're a drummer. You know, what do you think of so-and-so? Are they a good drummer? And, and I don't like referring to music in terms of good and bad because it's like, you know, it's a lot of, it's so subjective, you know? Right. But what I developed was for drummers anyway, is, I will tell you how old I was when I could be able to play the way they play. <laughs> so it was a way to kind of quantify in that sense where it's like, you know, uh, you know, there were songs I was playing when I was like 10 years old, 10, 11, 12, through, you know, through middle school, we'll say, you know, um, as opposed to when I started trying to learn rush songs and that was like high school, college, you know, and it's like, okay, like, and, and kind of struggling with them and having to really, okay, I need to count this out. I need to, you know, some of his stuff, I actually like notated. I sat down with like staff paper and I notated what is he playing? So I could look back at it and be able to count it and read it and play it. Um, so yeah, there are definitely some, some drummers out there. People are like, they're my favorite drummer. And it's like, yeah, I could have played these songs when I was about 13. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and this is a full grown man who's, you know, and it's like, Hey, like, you know, it's, it's, it's also one of those things where it's like, again, like 
for people who, who, who like those drummers, like, like that's great, but it's like, you know, there's definitely, I have a hard time in, in enjoying it a lot of the time. Cause it's like, okay, what else? You know, and I think it's because, you know, it's like <laughs> Neil Peart ruined me for all other drummers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing is like, it's really Once you discover Peart, that's the fucking category. Like who do you really put up against him as a rock drummer? Nobody. Right, yeah. There's nobody yeah. who even like, I mean, John Bonham was an incredible drummer, like in Led Zeppelin, like, and those aren't those songs move and modulate and, and speed up and slow down. And it's real like that whole band was, I mean, this is the second time we've talked about Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> That's but like when, when you talk about peer, that he is peerless. And it's, it's like a lot of people, when you, when you see them set up the drum set and there's 87 toms, it's, it's, overcompensating whereas with peart it's like no he needs those he yeah. needs every single one of those right. and he's going to play every it's not for show not not at all <laughs> most of my favorite rock bands are very rhythm forward have have like charging percussionists i mean steven tyler started as a drummer so he and he's always uh -huh. had a a problem with joey kramer like always was really like abusive and not cool like pushing joey to be the drummer that Steven, Steven wanted to be both drummer and uh, that's why he's always shaking shit. He's got timbales and shit. Um, but like it, infor it informs that music. It's very rhythm forward. The same with uh, Phil Collins and Genesis where like yeah. as the drummer and the, the front man, he's really driving drums forward in those bands. And that's the thing, like it, it totally reached you, you revealing to me or uh, giving me the realization that Peart wrote the lyrics for those songs it's like not only was he the best drummer of all time he's one of the best lyricists of all time and he was doing like it's so interesting to me for it you to be the lyricist but not sing that mm. really hurts my heart because <laughs> like it, it's like you and it's it's not like he didn't have stuff to do back there right like he, he he's doing as intricate a thing as anybody can in those songs, but like to let Getty sing it when you've crafted this, it, it's just that is so strange and really like reshapes the band in my head. It's like, not only was he driving rhythmically, he was literally driving that band. <laughs> like, Yeah. And, and it, it's really interesting too, to see like the dynamic where, you know, like, you know, Getty and Alex were playing together since they were young. And then there was, you know, they had John Rutsey. And then after one album, he was gone. So like, you know, like the fact that, that Neil kind of came in after everyone else. And then, you know, even just like kind of, you know, learning about them later where like when they would do tours and, you know, Neil would drive his motorcycle from place to place by himself while Getty and Alex were on the tour bus together, you know, and, you know, just how like, you know, kind of a, uh, separate you know they they kind of were i mean you know the three of them were, were all friends and brothers and worked together but there was definitely like a distinction there and, you know kind of he'd go off and do his thing and okay here are the lyrics okay here you go guys and i i got the impression like i didn't i haven't done a huge deep dive as far as like what their process was i know for some of their later albums i think they actually worked on them and wrote them like over distance like where they could like you know write something lay down a track send it to the other guy and kind of pass it around and do stuff like that but I think a lot of it is kind of like lyrics and then guitar and, and, and bass and vocals and then drums later, you know, so there's, there's this kind of like getting passed around, um, which I also think is really cool too. Cause I feel like, yeah, a lot of singer songwriters, it's their own lyrics that they're kind of, they probably almost 
develop a melody and chords as they're writing the lyrics. But so, so for Getty to be like, here are just some words that, you know, out of the blue, okay, I've got to, I've got to figure out how to sing these. And then, okay, we've got to come up with some chords that goes with, go with them and, you know, kind of do all that kind of with, with words that aren't their own, you know, like so that other end of it, you know, like, yeah, both Neil writing the words and not getting to sing them, but then Getty having to sing someone else's words, you know? Right. And I mean, like Getty's an incredible singer, like, again such a unique voice i don't i don't know of anybody who sounds like getty you know like everybody's pulling their weight in that band like there, there's no yeah. like there's no slouch but like i guess i always assumed it was getty writing the lyrics i don't know if that's just like a projection of like a, a, a me as a guitar player who, who writes stuff it's just like maybe they do it that way but that's crazy yeah i mean like how do you have a conversation with anybody about who's the best or your favorite drummer after neil peart has entered the chat like (laughs) that's the whole shebang well and and i think what's interesting too is i feel like he has also defined or or, i don't say defined like oh like you you have to meet this criteria but but like when i think about all the other drummers i like you know danny carey from tool tim herb alexander from primus uh mike portnoy from dream theater like they're all part of that school, that prog rock school of just like, yeah, we're going to have big drum sets, but we're going to play every single drum and we're going to play the shit out of them. And like you said, you know, like we need all those, you know, and, and, you know, as I kind of, you know, like, again, as a drummer, when I kind of moved away from, you know, like when I was, when I was a lot younger, um, one of the albums, I remember Green Day Dookie, I would put that on and just play that all the way through, you know, and it, it was super fun. It was super like energetic and I loved it, but like, you know, then again, when I get to rush, it's like, Oh, Oh, what, what is this? I have to, I have to think I have to, I have to count, you know? And so it opened the door to like, okay, now I, now, Oh, let's do some tool. Let's do some primus. Let's do some dream theater, you know? And, and um, it's interesting too, because there are in some ways where I, when I listen to, to dream theater and when I listen to Mike Portnoy's drumming a lot, sometimes there's more going on than with Neil Pierce drum parts, but I go back and forth on whether or not that's a good thing, you right. know, and, and that's what's what's really cool about that is like, even though, I mean, you know, again, he's doing a lot of similar stuff, but a lot of times there's 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 so much going on, but it's like, oh, I don't think that makes him a, a better drummer because he's doing more. I think sometimes it's, it's you know, and, and Dream Theater is a very different band from Rush, you know, it's right. kind of like, you know, Rush on Coke, I think. You know? like, <laughs> and, and, and that's cool. Like, sometimes it's nice to have that. It's nice to kind of like push into that. And, and, and it's great that like, there is this kind of growth kind of from Rush to like this next generation, this passing of the baton, you know. Um, but it, but it's, it's interesting that it's not like, oh, well, well Dream Theater is bigger better faster more of what rush is but it didn't make me like rush less and move on to them it's like no rush rush kind of they hit the formula you know like like it's cool that other people are doing things that you can kind of draw parallel and that's the thing too is i feel like like yeah tool and rush like they are obviously very different bands you know but you know again you can connect certain things where it's like you know yeah you've got you know, you've got uh, obviously a major, amazing drummer. You've got, you know, an amazing singer. You've got really interesting, intricate lyrics. You've got, you know, bass and guitar parts that are, that are actually like, um, not, not every single second, but a lot of the time, very independent, you know, as opposed to a lot of bands where it's like, okay, 
these are the chords I'm going to play on guitar. It's, you know, G, C, D, G. Okay, the bass, we're going to play G, C, D, G. We're going to play the, the root notes. You know, it's like you, you, you get that a lot where the bass is kind of more foundational, you know, and or, you know, oh, a bass player, you know, is it just a, a guy who was, wanted to play guitar but wasn't good enough to play guitar, so I'll play bass, you know. Whereas it's like, you know, you have people who are, who are masters of their instruments, you know, and, um, you know, again, Primus is another example, you know, it, you know, super, super contrapuntal guitar and bass parts that are happening there. You know, it's not, you know, just, okay, I'll strum some chords, you play the root on bass, you know. So it's like, you have these same core elements, you know, where, you know, all four parts, both, you know, you know, vocals, guitar, bass, and drums are, are, are four actual independent entities going on that all fit together you know not just sort of like i'm singing the words everyone kind of follow along and stay out of my way you know um and uh you know and then and then you look at dream theater and it's like okay let's let's add a keyboard to that too you know so it's just like holy shit you know it's like taking it to that next level um so so yeah so it's it's kind of interesting that it's like rush has led me to like other bands that have those similarities but it's also like i yeah i didn't start liking tool or primus or dream theater more than rush because there was still just something about rush you know that um that definitely like clicked you know and i i think that's part of it too it is it did some of it did have to do with the words and and the songwriting and i i really feel like um some of it i think just has to do with the subject matter too like i i like a lot of tools lyrics and they're very cool and clever but sometimes they are a little a little dark for me like I, and i don't say that as a criticism i'm just mm -hmm. saying they don't connect with me as personally because of how dark they are sometimes um but but i do definitely appreciate like um uh you know how how what the lyrics are how they're constructed and things like that um and uh but yeah like and i think sometimes there are some bands that that can get a little too heady you know or and, you know and i know that was one of the things with um uh i think it was on lateralis by tool where they were like oh yeah there's a the fibonacci series and there's all this stuff in here and then you you kind of you listen to it and you're like, yes, it's obvious that you put a lot of math into this. Like, like, you know, it, 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 it does groove, but, but you have to really let it sink in and work kind of work at getting it, which, which I appreciate that on a different level. Right. But, but there's something about rush where it's just like, it, it just seems so second nature to them. And that's, right. that's also something I've wanted to take from them is that, you know, when I've tried to, kind of bump up the level of my my composing and my drumming and stuff like that like you really realize that like if you're if you're doing something new it it sounds it it sounds like you're struggling with this it sounds awkward and, and how long it takes to just get to the point where it's like hey man i'm just jamming and this thing happens to be in you know seven eight and it's just the coolest thing you've ever heard but i'm not saying like i am going to write something in seven eight and we're going to make this thing happen and you know and it's like you know that 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 distinction where it's just like you know and I think a lot of the difference too is that, you know, playing those type of rhythms enough so that they become ingrained so that when you sit down and just play a groove, it happens to be in 70, you know, whereas like, yeah, like there, there is sometimes where it's like, you can, you can tell there's this plan of like, this is how we're going to put this together. And again, I do enjoy that and appreciate that um, also, but, um, but it, it's a different, it's a more cerebral appreciation, you know, as opposed to like a, an emotional, again, the head and the heart <laughs> combined, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's natural is a good uh, word for rush, and it's 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 like it, there's just enough. I never think of r rush as excess, you know. Like yeah. it, there's just enough. Peart is 
the greatest drummer of all time and does all these intricate things, but it's not excess. It's not spinal tap or, or that kind of that age of excess, like the, the, um, 20 minute guitar solo. It was like, I like that shit, but like that glam rock, nasty, like shit that spinal tap was like accurately portraying, right? Like that self-indulgent, like, I don't know. It's, it's just enough. Like it's not too much. I, I, (laughs) yeah. Well, and, and I think one of the perfect examples for me is like, is his, his use of double bass. Um, because like, you know, at a time when like, you know, double bass was very popular with, with like heavy metal bands, right. you know, and getting these blast beats where it's just like, who can play the fastest 16th notes with their feet? You know, like, you know, this is a new thing using, you know, well, not new, new, but you know, uh, was it, was it Ginger Baker was the first one to have two bass drums, I think. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah. So just to give an idea, like not new, new, but like there was, before it was done, it hadn't been done yet, you know? Um, and that was sort of the thing where it's like, you know, like how fast can you play 16th notes on the bass drum? It's like, who the fuck cares? You know, it's just like, and especially when it's being done in every fucking song, but like the way he uses it as just, you know, another extension of what he has available to him, you know, and, right. and where the double bass comes in and, and what it's kind of used to emphasize. And, and I was never interested in double bass until I heard him doing it. And it was just like, Oh, okay. Like it's kind of more of like, like an accent or like another drum, not just like the bass is going to be going underneath everything, you know? And, and that's the thing too, is like, when you're doing stuff like that, you, you lose the bass as an actual like rhythm instrument, you know, it's just, it's just playing a drone at that point, you know? And so many bands became like, so many drummers became double bass drummers. Like that was what defined what they did in a band. It wasn't that they were a drummer who could do that. It was like that, that was their defining feature. And that, that, became very old very quickly (laughs) yeah yeah and you know and again another example like those those other three bands and three drummers i mentioned like like they also to me use double bass in very interesting ways like it's it's another part of their their drum set not just you know like this is the foundation of everything i play you know yeah so it's like it, it, it was really cool it kind of opened me up to that possibility you know it added another layer to my drumming and I actually I actually started creating sort of methods for getting good at double bass the way I wanted to get good where it's like oh here's a bass drum rhythm that you normally can't play with one foot so you know because it'll, it'll have a bunch of 16th notes but not constant you know and I think the the first person actually that kind of really kicked this in um because that's the thing too is I feel like Neil Peart would use the double bass as part of like fills and stuff like that yeah um but i remember uh i forget what song it is i can't think of it off the top of my head but it's one of the dream theater songs um where mike portnoy just has like four 16th notes at the very beginning of each measure she has this like so so again you've got this like this short burst of of notes that are too fast and too many to do with one foot but then he has like a rhythm after that. It's not, you know, like, right. which is, which, which you get. And it's just like, okay, I got it. Like, <laughs> you know, yes, I'm having palpitations. Good job. <laughs> I, my um, heartbeat has increased in time with your drumming. Well done. Right. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, kind of hearing like, oh, okay, you're using the double bass, but you're still composing a rhythm for the bass drum to play. And, and you've opened up to the possibility that now we can have, you know, more notes and faster notes in the rhythm, you know? Um, so that's the thing is I feel like you, you kind of, 
you know, with the bass drum, you're kind of limited by, because it's one foot on one drum, you know, you're limited by how fast you can play, how many notes you can put in, you know, therefore limiting the variety of notes you can have. But by using the double bass as a way of opening up to the possibility of more possibilities of rhythms, because you're not limited by the amounts of notes, you know, and, and most drummers too can do like, you know, maybe two or three notes in a row with your foot, you know, you kind of get this, this bounce kind of happening. But, but yeah, to get four or even five, I have this little, this little burst in between, you know, so, so, so yeah. So again, like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have appreciated and gotten into what Mike Portnard was doing had I not been sort of like opened up to the possibility of like, oh, okay, you don't have to be afraid of double bass or, or stay away from double bass. It, it, it doesn't have to be what everyone's doing with it. You know, it can right. be this other thing. At that point, it becomes another drum. Like, yeah. You, yeah. you, you're treating it like you would a snare or a tom and that that right. that was the whole that was the cool thing about the double pedal and i mean i've i mean they've got the triple ones now right where it's like you've got two on the main bass drum and then one is is slaved to the or that's not the right word but like coupled so it's like double bait like oh um, okay oh so the, when you hit one foot it plays two drums yeah Okay. I've seen those too. I don't know how that gets incorporated. And then you just get too like you can't quite flam with the I guess you could if you had like the way the way you I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean flam yeah. in a long time. That's yeah. one of my yeah. favorite words. <laughs> well that was another th fun thing to start practicing rudiments with your feet, you know, and actually mm -hmm. doing, you know, like you know, again to to yeah, to develop a sense of independence with your feet, you know, and and control again, you know, to use it to play another rhythm. Yeah, you don't do paradiddles on a one one pedal, right? Like well, and and that's another thing that's interesting too. Like when it first started, you had to physically have two bass drums. Right. Um which I, that was a thing I also didn't like is that like, well, are they two different pitches? Right. Like, you know, are they, are you tuning them meticulously so they're the same pitch? So, so I actually really liked more when, when they finally came out with the double pedal, where now you have two pedals that are hitting the same drum. It's like, that's how your hands normally work on every other drum. You know, you don't go to like, you know, your low Tom and your medium Tom and go, and just like, you know, play those, you know, you usually play two hands on one drum so that you can get a rhythm on this one pitch, you know, um, and then move through that. So it, it allowed, you know, I, I like the idea that it allowed you to play, you know, two, two beaters on one drum, you know, rather than one, you know, two different drums that might be slightly different pitches, you know. That always seemed weird. And then, so one, one other thing too, in case we're kind of uh, finishing up with the conversation or, or before we go off on another tangent, um, one, of the, one of the things I, I remember thinking about, um, you know, cause like reading how kind of a, a, a private person he was and things like that, you know, and very kind of kept to himself. And I, uh, a friend of mine let me borrow um, Ghost Rider, um, which I still, I still have to, I still owe him a copy of Ghost Rider. Um, but, you know, kind of reading about how he was kind of taking this, this journey across, I think it was mostly across Canada. I think he did go into the U.S. a little bit. I can't remember. Um, and just like, you know, he, he, he was just trying to like do his thing, you know, and like with a lot of famous people, it's like, oh man, you're so-and-so. And, you know, and he, he kind of didn't really like being recognized and people kind of making a fuss. He's just trying to be a person. And I remember always thinking like, you know, if I ever, if I ever saw him in person and I would, I would hope to God that I could kind of, keep this composure but i always told myself like if you ever see him in person and you happen to make eye contact like just just give him a nod you know like that says 
you know, at least to me, that says like, you, you have changed my fucking life, sir. But, but, but I know you don't want me going over to you. So I know who you are, but I know what you want and I'm going to lead you to it. But just to let you know that I, I kind of acknowledge, you know, that would, that would have been, that was kind of what I kind of prepared in my mind is like, that's, that's how I'm going to deal with this. You know, I'm not going to run up to him like a screaming fan, like I would want to and be like, yeah, like to tell like, you changed my life. Blah, blah, blah. Can you tell, what, what made you think of the trees when you wrote the lyrics? You know, it's like, no, it's like, he, he doesn't want any of that. You know, and it's like to kind of, to kind of pay tribute to him in that way that it's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to do what you would want me to do, which is leave you alone, <laughs> you know? But, uh, but yeah, just to be like, not to the point of just like, oh, I'll ignore him because it's just like, you know, uh, and I feel like that's appropriate. You know, it's like you, you see a person, you, you nod your head. It's just, it's being nice, you know, but without interrupting him and disturbing him, you know, and that's the thing, but I never yeah. got that chance. <laughs> yeah. And he, he would interpret it. Like, it's not just like a nod between it. It's a, it's a nod with, with the gravity. And I think that would be, that's always the coolest. That's how, how, you hope to be in those situations yeah that's yeah that's a good segue into topic two um <laughs> perceived fame or or hypothetical fame um, right if if you i, I didn't want to jump away from peers too too soon if you had other stuff you wanted to talk about i mean there's always other stuff i mean there's you know the, like i'm trying to think of about what age i got into it it must have been somewhere between 13 and 15. So that's like 30 years of, of, you know, of experience of, you know, of his, his words and, and his drumming and, and the music that, that was spawned of his words, like floating around in my head. So, so I mean, I could talk endlessly, but you know, that was, we've done enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> we can always do a part two. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay. I'm going to uh, butcher a James Lit. Lipton impersonation from uh, inside the actor's studio. That's what like I was this. thinking. Well, yeah, when you were talking about that, I was just like, yeah. That's... No, I, I I always loved inside the actor's studio. I'm I'm a big nerd that way. Um, and every so often he would interview musicians too, which was really cool because he did one with Billy Joel, which was really really cool. I like Billy Joel a lot. He's this great storyteller, pianist, and songwriter, and like he played, he had the piano there. So he would go and he'd play stuff and they'd come back to the chair and talk to him. But like, I love hearing about all these actors and this behind the scenes stuff. And before kind of like YouTube and stuff, that was kind of the outlet where we would get mm. those kind of behind the scenes looks before DVD. God, I feel old. Like before you would have the behind the scenes documentaries on the DVD special features and stuff. This was kind of the only way you would really get to see those. Um, so I'll try to say it as, as he would say it. Um, we end as always with the questionnaire uh, used for many years by Monsieur Bernard Pivot on his show L'Apostrophe. Tim Gerard, what is your favorite word? What if I ended the podcast here? I, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know this is, well, actually, it, w w I feel like someone else has said this before, but also on Family Guy. Like, it, it's fuck. It's fuck. It's got to be fuck. You know, well, you, you're jumping ahead. There's a there's a favorite curse word question as well. <laughs> yeah, I've also been thinking about these questions my whole life, so I know what yeah. the sequence is. So I can edit out the the pause in between. <laughs> no, you can say it, fuck as yeah. it. Yeah, well, think... no, it's 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 well, I, I what was it? I think it was on Family Guy where it's like it shows Stewie 
and he's like and stewie says fuck and he's like oh okay now what's your favorite curse word <laughs> and that was sort of like part of the joke was that like wait what was what was fuck his favorite thing you know like, mm-hmm. um but but yeah it's it's you know and people have said this before it's it's the most versatile word it's it you know it, yeah it's probably the the word not so much anymore but it was definitely for a long time probably the word i used most often just because it, it went everywhere you know it didn't have to be associated with any topic of conversation you know right. um what <laughs> one of the uh you, you you know flo from the bookstore yeah yeah so she she was telling me one time she used to coach a high school football team and she said <laughs> uh, how did she say it fuck is punctuation is used as punctuation <laughs> i was like god That's damn flow you were the coolest person i've ever met <laughs> that is great but yeah and it's just I, you know it's 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 first of it yes uh and 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 i tried thinking of another word but like of course that popped into my head i was like no 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 that was what kind of what the silence was it's like no like what what other word stands out i can't think of one gotcha. i could probably think of a nerdy music word but it's like <laughs> no you know that's not you know well, like that's pan diatonicism that's <laughs> i like that word a lot but it's not my favorite word <laughs> well i think that the the point of this these interview questions was to be like it's like the slow or like a quick fire round and it's not supposed yeah. to be something super thought out which right. okay i mean with me having planned for this my whole life like yeah. um i think so, for, so yeah i was gonna say is you want to yeah. do your favorite like we'll bounce back and forth that's, okay that's awesome yeah. if you could ask me as will ferrell being james that, that's what i was gonna say <laughs> joel lewis <laughs> purveyor of podcasts <laughs> what is your favorite word i don't even want to answer that's so perfect <laughs> it makes me so happy that you did it um and it makes me so happy that you acknowledge the will ferrell impersonation because oh, yeah. that's who i thought more absolutely. so than the actual james yep. absolutely and i just see him like reclining back yeah in that i was trying to do that but posture. i had headphones on i couldn't lean back far enough <laughs> So my favorite word is the the Italian word for bicycle, uh, bicicletta. Mm. I always really liked the way you pronounce C-I in Italian as ch, chi, bicicletta. It's just, it's so delicate and glass-like. I I don't know. I I like the way it, it sounds. And I know very little other Italian. When I was taking Italian, I learned bicicletta. And I was like, well, that's the best word. Why, why would I learn any more? <laughs> okay. On, that's on, the best word. I like that. <laughs> on, on to number two. The Tim Gerard. What is your least favorite word? Uh, I feel like, again, I'm going to go with probably a, a, very, a very common choice. Moist. Interesting. Explain that, because I've never understood it. I like it's, the word moist. It just, it, it sounds so gross. It sounds wet. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I think, I think, I think some of it has to do, okay, in terms of the actual formation of the sound, the, the, like the moist, like that, that, Mo- that, that construction. That, yeah. Like okay. it's, it's. It's it's, it's like blowing a it's kiss, just, but gross. Yeah, it's not. It's moi. like you're gonna blow a kiss, but then you're like, you, you <laughs> say that, yeah. 
and it's just yeah and and it, i don't know what it is it's like it has this visceral reaction where it just makes me uncomfortable and which is hard to do because i'm not like a very prim and proper sort of guy like it takes a lot to to embarrass me it takes a lot just in general to make me uncomfortable um i had when my roommate in college we used to play a game where we would just start trying to make the other one uncomfortable and the first person was like oh was like oh you lose you know and we wouldn't know we were playing we would just start kind of either saying gross things or like whatever and and i remember one time like we were playing and like i was like okay i know what's happening so i started running my hand up the inside of his leg and he's like oh dude gross i was like i win he's like you're gonna touch my dick i was like i don't care i win <laughs> so so the fact that, the, that this word has this visceral, like, and that's the thing is, I don't understand it. Like, I, I, I feel like I shouldn't be as bothered by the word because there are so many other words that, that, that don't bother me. Do you think it's um, a conditioned response? I don't know, because I feel like there are tons of conditioned responses to, to other words that, you know, that, and, and, and to be fair, there are other words that, ha that do have that conditioned response, like, like the C word, you know, which I, which I won't say, not because the word itself makes me uncomfortable, but because of the, the connotations and the implications and the weight of it, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like, like other words, you know, that, that you don't say, but, you know, but I feel like those, those words, you know, again, we are, yeah, we are culturally conditioned and, and I mean, we shouldn't be saying them, but like, but, but that's where I think that weight comes from, you know, um, you know, the, the, like with those words, if you say it, you're kind of cringing about the reaction it may have from people around you, mm -hmm. but the word moist, like, like even now that I know that you don't mind the word, like me saying it still makes me feel gross, you know? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with the reaction of people around me. And it, it's, it's, it's something about the word itself. And, uh, and I find it interesting that, that there are tons of people who have that, you know, it makes me think of the, the episode of uh, how I met your mother when Barney does his one man show and I think it was like, he does it to get back at Lily because she was like, I want you to come to this thing. And like Barney like hated it. And she was like, oh, oh, I think Lily was in a show, like a, a play or whatever. And she's like, oh, if I went to something that you did, I would support you. So he's like, okay, I'm doing a one man show. And it's like four <laughs> hours long. And the first hour was him squirting her in the face with a squirt gun and just saying moist over and over and over. <laughs> you know, basically being like, oh, you have to tell me that I did a good job and you really liked it at the end of this because that's what you said a good friend would do. And um, so it was kind of one of those cool realizations like, oh, other people are bothered by this word too. That's interesting. You know? And that's the thing too, is it's like, even like context, like to be like, oh, these brownies are really moist. And it's like, oh, like why? Why did you have to say that? Like, <laughs> now I'm not going to have one. Well, no, I'm yeah. going to have one, but I'm going to be grossed out. <laughs> yeah, I'm still going to eat it. But, but that's the thing is like, it, 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 you know, it's like, I guess there isn't another good word. Like, I get what they're saying when they're describing the brownies that way. I don't know what else you should say. These brownies are real just, wet, man. Yeah. Like, I, somehow, and that's the thing is like, somehow that should be worse because I feel like it's more over the edge, like, like moist is that middle ground, whereas wet is just kind of like, okay, dude, like, you know, but it's like, oh, that's, that's fine. That, that, again, it doesn't have the visceral reaction that moist does. I don't know. And again, like, you know, that's, that's more like, I was trying to think of a better word, like something that like intellectually like bothers right. me, you know? Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are definitely pronunciations of words that I hate. Pert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't, even, I didn't even think of that when I was thinking of other things. But yes, yeah. it all well, connects, listeners. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't, I don't. That doesn't bother me as much, too. I mean, it's it, again, that's more of a, a 
of, a, of an ingrained thing because of the, the insecurity about how is this supposed to be said and am I right or is everyone else, you know, and I feel like that was also a really telling thing about life in general where you're supposed to, you know, oh, well, the, you know, the majority rules kind of thing. It must be pert because most people pronounce it that way. And it's like, no, there is an absolute right and wrong to this. Like, you know, and, and, and most people are pronouncing it wrong. And, you know, and again, it's not like a, I don't feel like a superiority about that, but it, like I said, it's, it's, it's also kind of typical of my life when, you know, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people doing things the wrong way. And I feel insecure and shy about doing things the right way because most people are doing it the wrong way. But yeah, so yeah, it's still, still moist. <laughs> it remains moist yes. <laughs> you don't have to do the impression again if okay, you don't want yeah, to. i don't think i'm going to top the purveyor of podcast thing no that was... first thing was great <laughs> <laughs> so joel what is your least favorite word so i i'm going to stretch the rules a bit um i hate the phrase they're your rules <laughs> <laughs> you wanted this <laughs> Well, okay. If I go for like a word, it's the the um, homophobic uh, slur that starts with the F. Okay. Yeah, that sucks. Because it's never ever been said in a positive way. It's always filled with venom. It's never. It's one of the things where it's like, I thought about saying the N word, not saying it but using <laughs> gonna do the louis ck thing like yeah that's that's well <laughs> scandal noted um we're not doing that for so many we're, reasons we're not doing that for so many reasons in a certain sense it's been reclaimed right there there's positive use of that not by white people um the other word is so venomous and so cruel and there's so much hatred behind it it's never an op- even even its its abbreviation is is it hurts less, but it, it's still just so venomous. It was it's not. It, it, I mean, again, it's never been uttered in in a way that is positive or uplifting or like it, it's just such a venomous word. Yeah, I hated being called it. I don't know if I ever used it. I know I know I definitely used the abbreviation when I was younger. Um, but it, it's a word that just doesn't make anybody feel good using it, hearing it. It's a word that has a lot of power and it's all bad. You know, I was going to say the, the way I was going to stretch the rules was I hate the phrase, the fact that, because whenever somebody uses it, it's like their key phrase, the way we say the, uh, that's the thing, which I yeah. think would have been a great name for this podcast. Or if we make another yeah. podcast for the Patreon, which doesn't <laughs> exist. That would also be a good that <laughs> the Patreon that doesn't exist should be the name of yeah. our Patreon, um, a band called the Van. Uh, <laughs> but it just seems lazy. <laughs> <laughs> when when somebody says the fact that mm-hmm. they proceed to say it like fifteen more times, it's just right. like it, it it it's it's like the Mulaney thing about uh, uh, the Psalms. It's a word. Right. It's this phrase you're meant to hear wrong. It feels clunky. It's weird. Right. Um, so that that would be my stretching the rules one all right tim and actually wait before you move on i want to i want to throw something on top of that because you reminded me of a phrase that i hate for that same reason um is when people say think about it like 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 it's a mic drop like like telling someone think about it makes you right and not only that but you're also making them do the work you know it's like oh you know pizza is better than lasagna think about it (laughs) wait what 
So wait, now I've got to try to prove your point for you? Like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, if you've got a point to make, go ahead and make it. But like... I definitely hate it more at the end of a point rather than the, the beginning. of. If it's, if it's your intro, if you're saying, think about it and then give me something to think upon rather than just... But even still, like, even, yeah, and, and don't, yeah, you're right. I've seen it after an argument, but right. it's still like, I feel like also what it does is it, it, it puts this, this sense of like, are you smart enough it. to get, yeah, get the like, point I'm making? Num- yeah. Number one, number two, like, if you don't agree with me, it's because you haven't thought whether, whether you're not smart enough or you chose not to, not because yeah, I'm sure. wrong and not because my argument's invalid, because if I tell you to think about it, I, you know, it, yeah, it's putting it's putting the, the the responsibility on you to to realize my point. You know, not that it's you know, because I mean, you can say anything and then say think about it. You know, it could be like you know, like the the Earth is flat. You know, it's like if I have a flat plate and I pour water on it, it holds the water. But if I pour water on a basketball, all the water just rolls off. <laughs> think about it. You know, it's like no, you are not right just because you said the word think about it. The phrase think about it. <laughs> That's great. We're going to pencil that in. That's the the, the part two yeah. of that question. Right. <laughs> or or even worse, phrase? or even worse, if they pose it as a question, you know, you know, oh, if the earth isn't flat, then how come when I pour water on a plate, it stays there. But if I pour water on the basketball, you know, then how come the water runs off the basketball, you know, and how come the water in the ocean stays on the earth if the earth is round? Think about it. Is this like actual theory? Is this like so? Is that in the flat? I, I saw. The, the well, I saw a video. It could have been someone being sarcastic, but okay. I couldn't tell, and that's the scary thing. Well, that's like the other some, thing. Like it was, when, it was like a teenage kid. He demonstrated that he held a plate, poured water on it, and the water stayed on the plate. And then he poured water on a basketball, and all the water fell off the basketball. Gotcha. And that was that. So again, I don't know if that was meant to be a joke because I, I feel like there were people doing parodies and like making fun of flat earthers by doing things like that you know, by like proving their point, but it's like, it's the, but, but again, I don't know. I don't know if that kid was actually a flat earther or if he's making fun of flat earthers because they're, 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 it's, you know, it's, it's like so when you similar. read the, it's like when you read the onion, you're like, wait a minute, is I can't tell if this is the onion or if this is real because reality and what the onion is posting are so in parallel. Yeah. <laughs> what did Pat Oswalt said? It's an irony deficiency. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. All right. Question three. What turns you on? This is a loaded question. Let's go there. Why, why, why pretty it up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be... Why start now, Tim? <laughs> Although this... <laughs> See, I, 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 well, all right. I'm trying to think. This is why these are good questions. Here, okay, I'm gonna. Here's where I'm gonna go with this because this is this has been a new development in my life. Oh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> Isn't it funny when you discover a kink? <laughs> is when I'm being creative and like have a good idea, and this is something that I've kind of noticed happening lately. And it's not, it's not that there's the same physical response, so to speak, but it's 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 similar. Like I I, I start you know because like you know, again, like when you're, when you're thinking there's stuff going on in your brain, you know, right. And, you know, like you said, in that sense, when, 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 you know, there, there's a more, more physical reaction that happens to things, you know, not necessarily um, concerning blood flow. (laughs) No Lazarus. (laughs) Right. But, but that sense of just like, we get that, Ooh, 
where, where something kind of just You're like vibrating. hits you full, full body. Yep. Yep. And, and that's been happening a lot lately. And it's really confusing because I'm like, do, do I want to, do I want to go work on my keyboard or have sex? I, I don't know <laughs> because like, I'll be, it'll, it'll be like this, 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 this almost like a, like a, either a creative kind of inspiration thing or, or like a breakthrough of like, Oh, this is what I could do here. And, and it's like, so yeah, like I said, it's very confusing. It's usually it's, it's kind of maintained in my brain where the gears are turning and it's like, yeah. And there's a level of excitement. Um, but it's more about like, Oh yeah, I could do this. And, and, you know, and your, 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 your kind of, your, your synapses are firing, but, but like lately there have been points where it's just like, oh, oh, okay. I had this idea and <laughs> all right, like that, it, it's cool. So it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. So that's, that's my answer <laughs> is, is either getting a, a, a fresh inspiration or, or breakthrough on an old idea. That's like, you know, and I, I, I think sometimes it's because it, what comes with it is, you know, and maybe why it's, it's kind of manifesting itself that way is it's the, 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 the promise of, of an idea following through, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like so much of, you know, when, you know, when you're the whole 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration, you know, you spend so much time kind of, you know, like when you're you know, work shedding stuff and like, Oh, how do I make this fit? How do I put this puzzle together? You know? And, you know, maybe, maybe because the moments of, of kind of pure inspirational bliss are becoming so few and far between now, because it's so much more about doing the work and getting it done. Um, that it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a similar sort of thing. It's just like, you know, did I, you know, did I just, you know, the, you know, the, the, the way you have that kind of reaction when you, when you, you know, see something or, or whatever, and it's just like, Ooh. you know, it's, 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 it feels like that, but it's, it's a thought about music or, or story or something. And it's just like, that's weird. That's a good one. <laughs> so Joel, what turns you on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely spark of inspiration does that too. It, it's, it's this like your blood is pumping. You're, you're more electric. Your brain is firing. I, I get that when I, like, it's odd. Like when I get into like a jam session, playing guitar and singing stuff and like not even recording, just like doing it through headphones. And like, you get into a point where like, you've been singing so you're short of breath but the endorphins are going and your body is like you're, you're just melding with the instrument and grooving and jamming and doing like that is a really pure kind of like turned on state that you get into but i think like primordially like the thing that gets me is like awkward authenticity mm. something okay. that i've something that I always have been attracted to or people who I've always been attracted to are people who are so themselves, they can't help, but be themselves. It, it, it's not when they try to play it cool, it doesn't work mm-hmm. because they're just so genuinely another way. Like not just like either they're really excited or effusive about something and they're like super nerdy about something and they just can't contain it. It spills out of them in front of people like that, that kind of, it's not even unapologetic because it's not something that they can control. It's just something Mm -hmm. that they, they, they project of like nervous excitement. Like I I remember at one point, uh, Tyne and I had gone to a, uh, a concert. We went to go see a K-Flake concert and we saw this, it was like a first date 
And you could tell that the girl was more into the guy than the guy was. And she was just so excited, like just, and she was kind of nerdy and she was, I imagine it was the band she wanted to see. And I was just watching that play out. I was like, it's so sad that he is totally not buying what she's selling. She, he's not tuned into what is happening there because she's, she's be, she's showing herself so completely. She can't hold it back. And, and that's, that's the stuff that is, is so interesting and cool because that quirkiness, like we, there's this like the veneer of cool, like we all try to participate in and like, but when you can't do that, what's underneath is so much more interesting. And you know that it's the real person and that that's, that's what really turns me on is, is seeing somebody who's so authentic it spills out of them yeah i mean i think luckily the same could be said for for krista because i remember i remember um when when i first met her and when we were first going to school together we were sharing an office and i remember thinking like i, I don't have a chance in hell with her why am i going to bother fronting you know like <laughs> and and i was just like and i remember like you know i used to walk into and we, we reference this now too because we have a we have, she when i um, would go into our shared office she had a space heater because she would get cold and i'd walk in and be like oh god it's hot as balls in here and it's like <laughs> that's not a phrase you use in front of a girl you're trying to mac you know but it was just like there's there's no way in hell like i'm i'm just me that's all that's all you know and and it works so <laughs> i love that in this story you used uh um mac and front and yeah. Which is like, I don't know. If I grew up I, in the nineties, son. I, I, what I was gonna say is like back when you were courting, those were the words you'd use. Yeah. <laughs> and since you haven't done it since, those are still the words you use. I haven't changed my game since I started. <laughs> and I mean, you know, Tina. She yeah. she's wonderfully weird. I I I love that about her, and that's. I mean, I also she's really kind and cool and smart and all of those things like but you know tiny she she does not put on air since she doesn't suffer fools who she is right. who she is there's no she's not <laughs> hiding it which is is so exciting and so cool so okay yeah. what sound do you love a baby's laughter no <laughs> <laughs> This is this is gonna sound like such a film composer answer, <laughs> and such. And I I I don't want to like this because I feel like it just kind of feeds into the perception of what everyone thinks film composers do nowadays. But 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 fucking fat, low brass, just like that raspy, you know? Because because again, this is this is every not everything Hans Zimmer does, but what, this is what Hans Zimmer is known for because of the fucking, Wah. yeah, because of the, you know, they're now called Brahms. Like they created a whole thing <laughs> because of his soundtrack to Inception. And part of it is like, yeah, like it works because it fucking works. It's just this, this, like no sound has more, more balls than that, you know? And, and not that I need balls in my music all the time, but it's just like, if you have to, if you have to narrow it down to a sound, and like, I, I get it. I get why it works and I get why everybody's ripping it off because it's like, it's like, 
in and of itself, it's great. I mean, yes, it gets boring when it's overused and it's all over the place and there's nothing contrasting it, but, but yeah, there's a reason it's being ripped off and, and, and I get it. And I, you know, and I want to rip it off because I think it sounds so cool. So unfortunately that's, that's probably my favorite song. Wow. <laughs> the the foghorn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like I get you could also mix in like the low strings and the low winds just for, you know, for 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 balance sake, but just that that unapologetic, you know, and and, and I think part of why it works so much and why it's so become so popular is because like I don't think you you really hear that like in classical music up to that point you know like we we've all heard orchestras before but like so much of what people in general i think up until that point had a heart on for was like was melody you know it's all about the melody what is the tune i want to be able to whistle the tune i want to take the tune <laughs> home in my head and and like oh the violins and they're so beautiful and you know, and it's just like everything's You're so bitter <laughs> tune. <laughs> you know but but yeah so it's like it, it's it's almost like it's almost like, like the history of music was one big dubstep song that was building to to that drop, you know. And, oh, that's uh, cool. And yeah, there it is. It's like, bar. It's like, oh, okay, good. We finally got the drop. Okay, after centuries. <laughs> we finally got the drop. <laughs> is that the SNL sketch? Is like, when is the bass gonna drop? Oh yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> when will the bass drop? When will the bass drop? Will... And then everyone's heads just start exploding. <laughs> So Joel, what is your favorite sound? I feel like mine's are more cliche. I I really like running water, like not a babbling brook, but basic. Like I went fly fishing, like in November, and just the sound of the river moving was just serene. And I really like rain, rainfall. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it like just thunder. like oh. it just. I mean it obviously lowers the temperature just like physically but like in my brain mm. the second you hear that those impacts it's just like shh, like yeah water in motion is always something like i'm listening to my cat's water fountain trickle in the background it's never it i never it never makes me want to pee but it like it, it reminds me like in college i had those like water falls mm. that mm. would go i thought those were the coolest thing ever like yeah zen waterfalls or whatever I had yeah. one of those too, and then it got moldy. <laughs> Mine too, because I would leave it after, or like, over a break. Yeah, that that's definitely mine. Okay, that's good. So the next one is, what's your least favorite sound, or a sound that you hate? I feel like there's a part of my brain that's like yelling at me, like you know what this is, but I can't, I can't access it. Like I feel like there's. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, they're probably because there are a lot of sounds that I hate, but I'm gonna go with this one, kind of stick with the music theme. And uh, I may, uh, Krista would laugh, because we've had many conversations about this, and I may piss some people off, but steel drums. <laughs> really? I fucking hate steel drums. <laughs> Why is that? Because of the sounds, like they sound stupid. They sound, they, they, it's just, there's something about it that just like, it's, it's like an ice pick in my ear. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, you know, and like, you know, and I know a lifeguard at a, a, a water park for two no, like, summers. I, yeah, like... I, don't, I don't know if there's like a, it's just like, like hearing it. I'm just like, like, and I even, I even went to um, a steel drum concert. Like that was at, at, at DU because they have a steel drum ensemble. And, and it's funny because like so many of the people who have joined it, like 
I, like I've heard from them that like it's the best ensemble I've done. I love it. You know, it's my favorite ensemble. And I went to the concert. And I'm just like, and I, I mean, I was trying to get into it. Like, and I was trying to like at least appreciate what they were doing musically, and like you know, some of the some of the arrangements were cool. And that's the thing too is it wasn't always like all um, Caribbean type music. You know, like one of the cool things they're trying to do is to be like, oh, we can just write other types of music on the steel drums, and. And that's cool. I'm glad they're trying to, you know, branch out, but it's still just like, there's just something about the, 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 the timbre of them. It's just very like pointed and just like, and, and the fact that you're getting that over and over again, like, I feel like with a lot of percussion instruments, you know, like say, for example, let's look at like, you know, let's jump back to the whole drum set thing. Like take a China symbol, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is such a cool accent. But right. when someone starts just being like, right. it's just like, okay, you're, you're fucking ruining it. Like, it's not cool because you're playing it more. You're not taking a cool thing and making it cool by playing it more often. You're, you're making it worse. So I feel like if there was like, you know, a, a steel drum that was kind of like an, an, an accented sound, you know, used the way like a, like a tam-tam is used or like a bass drum, you know, like maybe it would be cool. But even then, like the higher pitched ones, like because the lower ones sound kind of cool. But then when you're just going to just like, oh, okay. So just, okay, we've got this wash of sound now. And so there's not enough variety to the timbre and the impacts. And it's, it's not like you can accent. It's not like a ride symbol where playing the bell yeah. is different from the edge and then right. impact. Like there's not enough. It's like bite variety in a sandwich, right? Like yeah. you want more variety from it than just boink. Yeah, it's kind of, and even that, and that's that's part of it too. Is it's like, I mean, I that's more me trying to be like, maybe I would like them. It's and it's because it's not even really the context. It is just like the sound itself. You know, again, like yeah, like you, like with the ride symbol, you can you can wail away on that bell, and it's like yeah, it's got this drive and this power to it, and it's just like I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's so you know again, and I think that's part of it too. Is it's not like a decision I've made. You know, like where let me let me decide what instrument i like the least it's like every time i hear it it's a vis- visceral thing it's just like oh okay we got steel drums cool <laughs> gotcha and i feel bad because like i said you know du has a steel drum ensemble there's a friend of mine who has like a steel drum and and people love it and and that's great and again it's not a judgment thing it's not like you know things that i hate shouldn't exist and people shouldn't like them it's just more like it's just how it how it affects me like i just i can't i can't stand the sound of it and you know um, I, I don't, you know, I, I hope people who like the sound of it don't take it personally or people who are involved with it. It's not, it's not meant to be, you know, an attack against them and their, and their taste. Like I said, I don't even think it's a taste thing. I think it's something about like maybe the way my ears shaped or the way my brain is wired. It's just like, it, like it's nails on a chalkboard. To me. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny. Like such a, uh, unabashedly happy sounding instrument. <laughs> like you're not writing any, like, like funeral music on a steel drum <laughs> like that's just so funny to me i that i would never have guessed that in a million years that's so yeah. crazy <laughs> yeah like i i never would have guessed if you said like hey guess what sound you don't like it was not like i'd be like oh steel drums they're you know it's like you kind of hear it and you're like Ugh. Okay. <laughs> And like, I can, I mean, I can put it like, you know, like in the office when, when Michael's doing his feeling hot, 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 like, ding, you know, it's ding, part ding. of a joke. It's like, okay. And, and I think I, you know, I can deal with it also. It's, I mean, it's, it's a crappy steel drum, so it doesn't have the, the resonance that a real right. steel drum has. Um, so it's like, kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's the joke and I hear, and it's part of this joke and everything. So it doesn't, it doesn't make me angry to see that scene. Um, although I, I, 
I do enjoy watching the, the forklift run over it and, and later on. In the <laughs> you like that um, sound. Quink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, what is your least favorite sound? Okay, so it's it's a combination. It's, it's all the same kind of sound, but it, multiple things produce it. It's, you know, when you, you are doing laundry and you get the, the lint catch thing in the dryer and you pull the, and if your nails or anything catch that grate, that grating sound, like just talking about it hurts my teeth right now. Oh, okay. Like it, 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 I don't know if it's something where, I don't know if it's like a memory from like an early dentist appointment. So when they, they brush your teeth with that like spin brush it grates in that like seriously like just thinking about it and talking about it hurts my teeth it's the same with like an emery board like a nail file oh yeah anytime that kind of like cheese grater kind of thing happens like not cheese cheese grater doesn't bother me but like anything that's like that fine kind of sandpapery interacts with thing it just really hurts my teeth it's just such a very physical response so that that's definitely a sound i I hate and because it physically hurts. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have any other sounds that even approach that. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Okay, so by attempt, I assume you mean something that I could potentially actually do. I don't um, think it necessarily means that. Like, I, I think it's more like you could take a shot at. Like, well, and the reason I say that is like there are parts of me when I'm building a Lego set, it's like, I want to work for Lego, but it's like, I wouldn't know how to go about designing how to make a Lego set. Like I, I don't have the type of brain where I can look at something and, you know, a three-dimensional object and say, here's how I would replicate that with Legos. So I, I don't think I would have the skills to do that job. They just seem like a super fun company to work for, but I don't know what I would actually do for them. Um, I think if I, if I couldn't do music in some way shape or form probably i probably try, want to try being a writer um and not not in the sense where like i don't think people could hire me to write stuff i mean maybe i could do that but i would probably hate it but like to be like i'm gonna write a book and i'm gonna like you know because there, there are times like I, I have ideas for for stories and you know and I, I i love stories and i think that's part of why i want to do film composing is you know to 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 be helping someone tell stories and tell stories with music in that sense. So if I couldn't do that, I would just tell the story with words. Um, and I feel like I have like some practice at it um, where I think if I, and I know, I think I'm, I'm old enough and I'm disciplined enough where I would know what avenues to seek out to get better at it. Um, you know, and what I would need to do both just like on my own in terms of like, you know, working and editing. And I know what things like probably that are my shortcomings. So it's like, okay, here's resources so that I could get better at those things. Um, but I also, I think, you know, they, and there was actually a time too, where I think I like sort of put composing on hold for like a month and a half. And I was just, and just focused on, on stories and writing um, as a way of kind of like, you know, instead of being torn between the two things, be like, okay, let's like, let's pretend you're a writer this month. You know, what, what would, what could you come up with? Could you actually finish a story? Or is that just an excuse you tell yourself for why you haven't finished any of your stories? Cause you don't have the time. So I think, yeah, for some reason, like music was not an option and I could just devote all of that time to writing. I think I could, I, I don't know if I could make it work and if I would be successful, but I would, I would want to. And I feel, you know, like I said, I, I think I have the understanding to know how to go about getting better at it, at least, as opposed to other things that, you know, like I said, with the Lego thing, like, 
I, I'm not going to go get a degree in engineering so I can learn how to build Legos better or something like that. You know, like Joel, what is the, what is the career that you're not doing that you would be doing? <laughs> like, is it, is it not your new job and instead you would be a songwriter? Is it instead of being a songwriter? Is it, what is the, what, what are we removing from the playing field? I guess is my question, right. you know, cause for me it was like removing music right. and then what would you do? So what, what well, this is the problem? What, I have too many interests and I'm, I'm, mediocre at all of them okay I'm so then really, so let's really... modify it if you if you had to pick one and run with it of the things you're already doing i guess would well, be i was kind of thinking about like not even because i feel like i would always do music because it I, i've always wanted to be a rock star right like that's i've always liked that idea like to play in front of people and have that response like that that's that's always been something and i feel like whatever career i would do that would be a hobby or something for me that I would do regardless of what my career was. So when I was thinking about it this time, I think it'd be really cool to try wrestling. Oh, okay. I, I, I feel like if I had started watching wrestling and really liking it earlier in my life, I probably would have wrestled in high school. And then I don't know what that would have evolved into. But like, even now, like once COVID's over, I'm really considering, like there's a Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling School that you oh, can go okay. up and and since some of my favorite wrestlers started when they were 45 like i'm 15 years younger than that and it would be a way to get in shape and like I, it's dangerous but it's it's fun it's like a the way they tell stories and the physicality of it and be a way to get in shape and stuff like i, I think that would be really cool and it's a way to tell stories I don't know. I, I've i've never been a dancer i've never been an actor but i think i could get in and like tell a story with this simulated violence in these moves to like, I, I think, I don't know. It, it just, I, I think that's really cool and something that like, I, I d I'm doing nothing actively in that direction, but I think would be really cool to try, you know? And I think that that's in the question is like, what profession other than your own? And that's the thing, I guess it's odd for me because my profession in quotation marks is is many different things like i'm doing mm -hmm. finance stuff but i don't really cons i mean it's my job right. but i don't know if like i would call it a perfect like i edit podcasts i write music like i do and that's the thing like the millennial it's the jack of all trades master of none like that's mm -hmm. definitely what it is but like the thing that i have no if they're all a progress bar, the one that has none in it is is wrestling. I think that would be really cool and something that I I would like to to try if I could. So the the counterpoint to counter question to that is what profession other than your own would you not like to attempt? And I'm gonna put the proviso on this that it can't be something you've already done. <laughs> okay. Pretty much anything. <laughs> um, if i had to do anything else i'd be miserable <laughs> yeah well i'm also trying to think i mean i guess i guess working in sewage would be a nightmare <laughs> yeah. but i've already had a job that was similar to that when i used to do <laughs> wash floors and do laundry at a nursing home ah uh, that's right but i, but I never that. i mean yeah but my job was never actually to like work in sewage so yeah that would be an ocd nightmare and yeah, to the 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 length of time I would have to shower every day after that, mm. and you know, and and it's one of those things where like you know, I'm, you know, obviously people have to do it, right? And but I feel like there are people out there who you know maybe you know who don't have issues, you know, or the same issues that I do, and it's kind of just like yeah, you just 
you take a shower and you, you move on with your life, you know? And, and, and I think there are people who probably could do that and, and are doing those jobs and kind of are okay with it on some level, you know, and maybe it pays well and, it, and they have the mentality that like, yeah, it sucks that I have to work and shit all day, but it's worth it for what I get paid. And, and, and that's, and that's cool that there are people who, who can kind of weigh the money that way. Whereas like for me, the, the, the quality of, of life that I would lose doing something like that. It's just like, um, that, 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 that's definitely down along the lines of like, you know, without getting too grim, it's just like, why, why go on living? You know, if, if that's, if that's your life and, and again, not just the job itself, but because me with, with, with my OCD, how that would affect the rest of my life. You know, it's like, if I work there for eight hours and then I come home and take a three hour shower every day and basically, you know, have to like, okay, wrap my head around, like, okay, you're, you're clean enough that you can go to bed now. You're clean enough that you can eat food now. Like, I don't know how I'd eat lunch at work. You know, I don't know how I'd get, feel like my hands are clean enough to, to touch food, you know? Um, and then it's just kind of like, you know, to, to kind of go through that, uh, you know, five days a week and then kind of like, okay, it's the weekend. And I, I, you know, barely eaten, barely slept. I've, you know, showered so much and, you know, they probably cold showers because, you know, I'd probably use so much hot water, it would run out, you know, and yeah, it's just, I, I just, it's too, too much, which I mean, I feel like it seems kind of obvious, but then again, like I said, other people may not be bothered by it. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that other people can do it, you know, like, um, I also, I mean, to get to put things in perspective, I almost feel like it would be easier to be like a, a garbage man, you know, it's like, okay, if I wear gloves and, you know, like you're dealing with gross stuff, but you maybe not aren't as in contact with liquids maybe as much, mm. you know, so, so it's not as, you know, but yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. As I'm thinking about this question, I'm realizing how privileged a question it is to be asking like, yeah. I mean, I Lipton asked actors and rock stars and songwriters and stuff. So it's like, obviously they're in yeah. a position where they don't have to, but it's like, if that was the job I had to do, because there was nothing else I could do. That, I mean, that would be, it's just, yeah, it, it, I'm just realizing that that doesn't go yeah. anywhere, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because like at first I was thinking like, oh, something like accountant, because it might be really boring having to work with numbers all day. And it's just like, nope, there's something worse than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. What about what you? What, 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 what would be your worst job to do? It definitely would have to do like salesman. Mm. Like either door to door, or over the phone i i just i'm too much of a a people pleaser and this is not a job interview so i'm not bullshitting when i say that i just like i feed off of the energy that i get from people and the fact that i have always hated those interactions when i'm the person that's being contacted or solicited that having to subject other people to that as my livelihood would be impossible I, I just would hate it i would hate myself i would hate like i could not do that even if it was something like i super believed in like i i i don't know it, it just always it has always made me feel super awkward and super uncomfortable anytime like i have those kinds of interactions where it's like yeah that that would definitely be it for me 
Yeah, it's funny too, because I feel like that would almost be like a close second for me, which is saying a lot when, you know, working in actual shit is the worst thing I could do. The second worst thing would be to have to try to sell people stuff. They well, probably then, then you're peddling shit. That, that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting too, because it like as much as, you know, I've, I've worked tons of retail jobs and none of them would have been all that bad if it was just customer service and like cashing people out. But it's always like, oh, push this and ask open-ended questions. But, you know, and, it, and it's all about like, you know, it's like it's, if you just make a good product, it'll sell itself. Stop trying to make it my responsibility that your shitty product isn't selling, you know. They're in the store, right? Like, just, yeah. And if I'm in Walmart, I'm not there for cable. Like, w- right. that always bugged me. Like, <laughs> yeah. why is the fucking satellite dish person there? Like, obviously, if I'm looking at TVs, I have cable. Like, what the fuck? Right. Are you happy with your? Nobody's happy with it. The people that you have your service aren't happy with it. Stop asking me. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. This is the last one. Tim, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? This is a really interesting one, given your and my uh, lapsed religiosity and different stages of new wave or new. Yeah. New age, I guess. New age. New wave is the music you like. New age is the the period of your life that I'm still finding out about. <laughs> I got it. You are right about some stuff, wrong about some stuff, but so is everybody, and that's okay. Okay. A net a net zero. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but but that's the, the idea. Is it's you're not trying to earn brownie points to get into heaven. It's just like you're just kind of plopped down in this thing, and it's just you know, and it, you know, also the idea that you know, one of the things that's kind of crammed down your throat is that like, oh, you know, God's going to be pissed if you don't do what he wants you to do, this, that, and the other thing. And it's just like, you know, basically that, yeah, the fact that it's just like, yeah, that's, that's not what it's about. You know, like, like everybody has their ideas about some things about, you know, what's out there and, and you get some of it right, but you get some of it wrong, but you're not punished for getting it wrong. You're not punished for the choices, the ways you chose to look at things, you know, like, and that's, that's what everybody is doing, you know, and it's not like, these guys were right. These guys were wrong. These guys are right. They're going to heaven. They're wrong. They're going, you know, it's, it's like, that's just, that's the way it is. It's okay. I'm not, you know, he's, he's not taking it personally. He's not angry if you didn't believe in him. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's like kind of, you know, and, and it doesn't matter how much was right, how much was wrong. Some of it was right. Some of it was wrong. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, however you chose to live your life, you know, that's, that's how you chose to live your life. You know, it's, it's, it's not about, I told you so, you know, looking down on everyone else, be like, see this and that, or, oh man, I was wrong. It's like, I, I don't care. You know, that's, that's fine. You're here. You know, that was what you did on earth. You don't have to do that anymore. You know, I like, did you ever see the, uh, um, Stephen Colbert had, um, uh, Keanu Reeves on and he asked me, he's like, what do you, what do you think happens when you die? And Keanu Reeves goes, I know that when you die, everyone who loved you will miss you. And I, I really liked that because it was just like, you know, it's like, yes, it's, it's, it's it was good. It was so sweet too. Cause like Stephen Colbert, like shook his hand. Just was like, thank you. You know, that was just like probably the most pure answer he's ever heard to something like that, you know? And that was kind of in the back of my mind as I'm like formulating this, you know, cause it was like a, a different question, but still like, you know, similar in, in a way, you know? So Joel, you die and go to heaven, find out God's real. What do you want him to say to you? I mean, we, we haven't gotten into my deathly fear of death um, on this podcast quite yet. Um, so just, just 
perceiving anything after the light switch go out will be such a relief to me. <laughs> it's not something that I I believe is the case, and that's what scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like as I, I I haven't thought about this question for a long time. Um, what what my knee jerk reaction is like? Do you want to do it again? Ooh, that's fun. Because as I don't know. And again, this is a very privileged position that I'm in to speak this way. But part of my fear of death is liking living so much and not having anything to compare it to. So the the thinking about losing it. Right. And and that's the thing. Like try like the new agey kind of kick I'm on where it's like, yes, thank you. This is an experience. I'm trying to live presently. If I'm frustrated thank you for that. If I'm, I'm happy, thank you for that. Like, thank you universe for, for allowing me to be perceiving at all. Right. The th- universe is the thing thinking itself. Like, thank you for letting me be a part of the thinking. Mm-hmm. So the idea that as shitty as it can be and as painful as it can be and awkward and terrifying and painful, like I don't know anything else. And I'd like to think that there's a, if there's like an enlightenment or, or the, the idea of like progressing or, or transcending or be going back to the molecules or I, I don't know how that works or any of the consciousness stuff. But like, I think it would be really comforting to say, do you want to do that again? Cause I think I would, cause then it would just be, it would be existence again. Yeah. Which is all I have experience with and all I've fell in love with, you know, like in, in terms of like having, any kind of existence so I, I that would be kind of I, and that's the thing like people talk about heaven of like all your relatives are there and it's like it'd be it, and it would be nice to be like okay check in with them tell them that you love them go back and and and, and that's the thing like as terrifying as fear is as painful as pain is like that's that's living and mm-hmm. and that's that's again, really privileged. It's really hard to have that feeling if your life is not as privileged as mine has been. Um, I don't know if my answer, if I was someone else, I'd have a different answer, but that just the kind of comfort of having a perspective from which to perceive things after the light switch goes out and then say, Hey, do you want to live again and do it again? Not as me or as somebody else like that 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 would be comforting and cool i like that i was also thinking about it a neat twist would be like if you're like yes and he's like just so you know you've already done it a bunch of times yeah this is not the <laughs> you know that it's like you know it's like that okay that's yeah like i'm happy with that just you know like i don't well and, you know because that's part of it too is they teach us like you get this one lifetime which is like a speck and then you spend the rest of eternity in heaven so it's like of course like I have time for that later, but once I like let go of, of life, like that's it, you know, it's just, you know, so it's like, if that's kind of the, the, the alternative you're given, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, let me, let me, let me ride this ride as many times as I can. Let me, let me throw up, you know, a few more times and, you know, whatever, until I'm, until I'm actually sick of it and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. I like that. That was like, I was not expecting to have, a poignant answer to any of these so that was cool like because as you as we were talking i was thinking about it for myself i was like fuck I, I i didn't know what my answer was when i asked you it so that's cool 
I, I, I thought we would like might need to stretch, but we that we got a lot of mileage out of those few questions. Yeah. Did you have any interview questions that you've or we could save it for another another session? Yeah. No, I mean I was I guess I was more thinking if it was more in terms of like career, you know, cause like a lot of the videos I've been watching are like, how do I make a career as a film? You know, so it's just like, you know, you've got these people who are film composers doing an interview or like, you know, the master classes I've been watching, you know, which isn't an interview, but it's like almost like a one-sided interview. I sometimes get the impression that they're being asked questions by the, by people off camera. Um, you know, so it's like, you're kind of prepped in that sense, you know, or, 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 but yeah, so it was nice to kind of break away from that and that it wasn't that really, it was more just like, more about like you know like like yeah like so when james lipton you know gets them on there it's not like you know okay tell me all the details of being an actor and the secrets of being an actor you know it's there's the yeah the, those type of questions it's just like let's get to know you as the person kind of thing. so yeah i'm happy with that cool and maybe if we, we think of more later on we could have it as a little segment where it's like interview questions yeah. i always wanted to be asked do yeah for the for the patreon for the patreon yeah. <laughs> it's every time we say it, it's like uh for the horde it's it's very uh, <laughs> world of warcraft cool so we we should move on to our our longest reoccurring segments <laughs> the uh great ideas that go absolutely nowhere um i don't know or should we should we omit it this time i feel like we kind of got cosmic and woo woo there at the yeah end. i mean i I, I do feel kind of like, I don't want to say drained because I feel like drained is kind of like a negative connotation, but I feel, I feel empty. I feel like, and that doesn't happen often where I feel like I, not that I don't want to say anymore, but I don't feel the need to say anymore. <laughs> you know, like. Okay. Then let's call it. Yeah. Here's, let's Tim, call it. here's Tim with the final word. God. <laughs> Great. We'll see you next